0: Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash to watch Sleeping Dogs,
1: now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. What is up, Gypsy Gang? And we are back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast, and I am pumped for this one. It is with one of the coolest and nicest dudes in moto. He's been a very highly requested guest, and I'm pretty stoked that we we're able to make it happen. Cole Seely is a former factory rider, but since retiring from the sport, he is maybe as relevant as ever. Uh, he's kind of turned into a free ride guy now. He's killing it in the YouTube space, and uh, and I honestly think that the best is yet to come from Cole Seely. Uh, it was really really cool to... Have a chat to him and talk about not only his career, but where he sort of sees uh, himself going in the future. Uh, This episode is brought to you by the guys at Alpine Stars and their brand new Tech 10 Super Vented Boot. This thing's insane, man, and I can tell you that... Growing up in Cairns, I remember coming in from Moto's, and the first thing that we'd do is put the bike on the stand and then rip our boots off because they were like our feet were literally boiling hot. So, uh, these things, wish they were around in, uh, in 06 back in Cairns, but they're here now, and with summer fast approaching in Australia. These things might be the move. They have specially designed air channels through the boot and a vented ankle brace that dissipates heat nearly 40% better than a non-vented boot. You can really notice Alpine Star's commitment to ventilation in their new helmets as well. Like I said, it is shaping up to be a brutal summer, so don't let the heat turn you off riding. Be smart with your gear purchases. You can start with the super-vented boot, and I would also recommend Some light-coloured gear and a light-coloured helmet as well. Uh, These super-vented boots are available Australia-wide from local dealers or online retailers. One of those online retailers is our friends at MX Store, and they're also helping us bring you this episode. Uh, If you go onto mxstore.com.au, type in Tech10 Supervented, you'll actually see a video of Jesse Dobson breaking down exactly why he chooses the uh, Supervented boot. One of the coolest things about the guys at MX Store is that All orders received before 2 p.m. on weekdays are dispatched that same day, so you can head to mxstore.com.au. We're also brought to you by the legends at Dry Times, and man, did these towels come in handy over the weekend at MX Store. She was a hot one dry times was born and raised on the pristine beaches of the gold coast australia and is pretty much the world's best tower inspired by good times and purpose built to work hard and play even harder beach gym pool travel whatever your passions dry times is all about creating incredible towers for every single adventure You can go to drytimes.com and use the promo code GYPSYGANG to get 15% off your order. You can also go to FISTHANDWEAR.COM and dixonquality.com.au to use that same code. I know that you might not be in the flannel market in uh, Oz right now, but Dixon also have some epic board shorts, work shorts. Uh, That is pretty much what I wear 24-7. We're also brought to you by the guys at Maxis Tires and if you are sick of hearing me talk about it, uh, then you should just check out the podcast with Mike Sleater. We kind of stumble on the topic of Maxxis tires. He didn't know that we were actually sponsored by them, and he does a really great job in that episode of breaking down just how good the new soft tire uh, is from Maxis and uh, talks about like the wear and what you should expect out of a soft terrain tire. We're also brought to you by the guys at Motorex. They make some of the best quality oils in the game. They're definitely more known for their KTM oils, but I can tell you that Motorex works in any brand of motorcycle. We're also brought to you by the guys at Rival Inc. Design Co. They are doing their Rival Inc. 100K giveaway. It is absolutely insane, but they're giving away a CRF 110 to one lucky winner. You've just got to head to rivalincdesignco.com to find out more. Uh, The 92K giveaway is actually for some Gypsy Tales merch. So if you're a tight ass and you want to get yourself some Gypsy Tales merch, you can head to Rival Inc. Design Co. to do so. So, and lastly, we are brought to you by the legends at Crook's Tweed. I uh, actually had somebody ask me on Instagram yesterday and they asked me a question thing. If I would buy a Triton after a year uh, of driving one, and the answer is 100% yes. I've absolutely loved the Triton. I would definitely buy one of those vehicles. If you are in the market for a new ute to get your dirt bike around, I would Definitely consider going to crickstweed.com.au, booking in a test drive. I don't know, maybe they'll let you sneak it out to the track just to give it like the full rundown, you know? All right, that's it from me. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. You can head to gypsytails.com to buy merch. Please head to our YouTube channel, give us a sub, really trying hard to uh to get that thing popping off. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to my epic guest for today, Cole Sealy, you, my friend, are a lord. Cole sealy welcome to Gypsy Tales, mate. We're doing it. We're finally doing it. Finally. <laughs> I'm uh I'm stoked this one's happening, bro. We've um we've been talking about it for a for a little bit and uh man there's a solid, solid like swell of people that uh really really wanted this to happen as well which is kind of cool
0: yeah i know even when i posted uh earlier that i was coming on uh yeah i got a bunch of people dming me like dudes that's sick like i love that podcast can't wait to hear you on there
1: yeah that's yeah i'm excited yeah that's cool man we we never really had that much to do with each other when i was in america but obviously like i knew who you were Um, and we've got like a few mutual friends and stuff, but you're just one of the dudes I never really hung out with that much.
0: Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's, I mean, better late than never, I guess.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Um, man, I always, always loved your style, not only on the bike and as a racer, but, you always to me were a guy that did stuff a little bit different. And I really like that. Like for example, everybody lived in Temecula and you lived in Laguna beach and you know, you had yeah. like, you had like different kind of cars and you were into different kind of stuff. And I always, you always come across as a dude that had way more going on than just moto. And I always really enjoyed like watching that as you know, like you could be a fan of you as a racer, but you could kinda also be a fan of like yeah, your style and the other stuff that you're into, which is um not many dudes have that.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean that's that's something that I definitely take pride in. So thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. Um but yeah I, I never really bought into like the the moto identity, I guess you could say. Where like, yeah. yeah, it's something I do and something I love and I I love hanging out with everyone that does moto, but I like that wasn't my entire life it never was and it never will be like I, I have so many hobbies and so many interests that are outside of moto that I really love and like yeah cars is one of them BMX skate like all that you know categories that that aren't necessarily clean moto um, and maybe I think a lot of that comes from my background because I'm not like I didn't grow up in Temecula and I didn't grow up you know completely surrounded by everything moto i grew up in thousand oaks and i the closest track was like an hour and a half away and i mean that's probably why i wasn't such a good amateur racer but at the same time it, it introduced me at a lot of different things um i grew up you know 20 minutes from the beach so i'd go to the beach a lot and hang out with friends down there and um yeah the the moto side of thing was something i was always really good at but i always loved i had so many different interests and like I always kind of looked at life like, like everyone says, like you only live once. Well, you're only capable of doing things and learning things in an even shorter amount of time. You know, you really have like from when you're 15 to when you're 35, when you really can like be mm. really good at so many things. So I was always like, yeah. all right, like as soon as I got my driver's license, like I want a car cause I want gonna go drift <laughs> and <laughs> like so many things like that where, where I was like, Oh, you know, I'm, I have an injury right now. I might as well pick up a new hobby and learn something new and, and different. So I always, uh, I always loved you know learning new things and and just not getting my mind away from racing and riding
1: yeah i mean i feel like there's probably if you're a team manager and you hear your guy say that you're probably like oh this might not be my dude you know like you kind (laughs) of want that guy that's just going to be so obsessed with racing and riding that uh they don't think about anything else like they want that kind of like robotic dude uh but it's like that can serve you super well in your i mean 10 12 year career but then it's like how many dudes do you see and i know guys that they stop racing and then they're just like oh fuck like i've literally (laughs) invested in nothing else outside of this and now it's gone and essentially they're gone you know but you when you retired it seems like that just wasn't an issue. It was almost just like, fuck, now that's out the way. I can like actually do all this other cool stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah. That and like, man, I, I didn't like riding when I was, when I was racing. Like that was my job, you know? And yeah.
1: that,
0: that's hard to say. Like I didn't like riding because I always loved it. But when it's literally like what you're waking up to do and you're going to better yourself at your job, it takes away all the fun out of it. And I'm somebody who, you know, obviously likes to have fun and and likes to be on the bike to have fun. And I didn't get any of that for almost over a decade where there was no days where I was like, oh man, like having so much fun on the bike today. is literally like, just what's my times? How much, what do I got to do to Mm. be faster? How can I enter these whoops faster? How can I take that turn faster? And it, it definitely, and like, that's like something that I've come to realize more recently than, than, um, ever is like right now, especially in the, like, Winter time out here in Southern California is so much fun to go do trips and and like I don't know, I got a cast on my hand right now but like yeah. on Saturday like Twitch called me like hey we're going to the hills can you ride yet I'm like no but like those times are what I live for now that's like so much fun to me where like before when it would rain it was like oh sweet it's raining I don't have to ride today <laughs> like <laughs> I don't got to go to the practice track and grind away and and November and December are usually the months that I hate the most because it's boot camp you know where Yeah, on the bike four days a week on the bicycle every day in the gym four days a week it's just so such a grind and now i'm like i love winter time like it is hands down my favorite time just because i love riding again you know it's it's brought so much more fun and really more creativity back into my style
1: so with that like not enjoying riding what do you think that was that let you not enjoy it was it the pressure that the teams put on or the pressure you put on yourself because i mean i feel like there probably is a way that you could have enjoyed rate, you know racing but i don't know like have you thought about it now since you're done like why it wasn't fun and maybe do you think if you got another go at it you probably could enjoy it more or
0: i don't know i mean it's that's a tough question and, and like i said though it's like it's the grind you know it's it's the mm. the boot camp months it's the travel the you know like like i said before i'm southern california kid so i i always loved you know everything it had to offer out here but i lived in florida five months out of the year too so it's like
1: yeah and
0: and and i made fun of it like it was it was like you know i'd link up with guys like cincerello and christian craig and 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 chase sexton we'd had we had some laughs and some good times for sure but it wasn't exactly where i wanted to be all the time so that that takes the fun out of it and that you know Mm. but that's that's anything with the job and when you're when you're chasing your dream and, and all that that's to be expected and at the time that's you know I was 100% willing to do that and now it's just just let's go have fun let's make some cool content make sponsors happy and and with a year like we had this year with covid and everything it's been on lockdown I really had some some goals that I I was chasing but um everything got pushed aside but any anything that came to me that was like hey you want to do this I was like yes absolutely like anything to keep my name out there. Cause I know it's, it's hard for guys like in the free ride world right now. And, and, uh, when stuff like Beerman's Red Bull, uh, imagination popped up, I was like, I'm in hundred percent. Let me know the details. Let me know when I got to be there. What do I got to do? And, um, so anything that's like popped up like that, it's, I, I love that stuff. It's, it's so much fun.
1: I think, man, it, it's so cool, you know, to say that it, it probably was a bit of a hindrance on your career at times. Um, to, you know, live in Laguna and do the, you know, the drifting and you always had your own style. Like it probably was a bit of a negative at times in your career, but now dude, it just, you you hit the ground running and it's like, you're a unique character in the sport now. And the, the sport, I personally believe that the sport needs Cole Sealy. YouTube needs Cole Sealy. Like this, this (laughs) is, this is such a positive thing for the sport. And it is kind of funny that You probably took a little bit of a hit in your riding career, but I'm sure that you're going to be around and maybe more relevant than you've ever been like relevance, kind of like a weird internet term. Like if you, if we want to like be YouTube land, like you're probably more relevant now than you've ever been really. I mean, maybe the, the seasons where you were, um, with Ando on the lights bike and then, um, you know, the races that you won in HRC, but You know realistically you probably are the most relevant you've ever been right now and you're doing it in a way that you want to do
0: yeah yeah for sure and and i think right now where our industry's at is i mean we're constantly growing obviously with with things like youtube and and instagram and and every other platform that kind of pops up as we go um you know i try and be that's the thing i love about the um about the youtube thing is it's it's relatable you know and i think relativity relativity with with people and more importantly consumers that are involved with with the companies that i'm backed by i think that's that's more relevant than anything right like mm. if i do a bike build and i'm showing you well hey i'm i'm doing this build and i'm using these parts and this is why then we can push product that way um i think that that has a huge value you know a lot of the parts that are on my factory bike i was racing for 10 years you can't get so it's a yeah. uh, even though, yeah, we're running uh, Yoshimir exhaust, but you know we have we have exhausts that are catered to a certain engine build and all that stuff. Well, this is why I'm going to put this exhaust on this stock bike is a lot more relatable than than what you see in the pits. But you know that the stuff you see in the pits is is awesome in itself too. But um, yeah, I just I like it, and I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have. Brands like Troy Designs and and uh, Alpine Stars, 100, and and guys that were involved in my racing career that were like, hey, we we love what you're doing. Let's let's continue this and um, see what the future holds and all that stuff. So, you know, I'm I'm blessed for sure to have fun, call this a job now, and um, yeah, and, and get to work with some really rad brands like that that I I would I would run regardless, even if I wasn't you know like sponsored or, or endorsed by them.
1: Yeah, you're you're right, man. Like the the whole relatability thing. Like I think, like, I've thought about it a bunch lately. Like I mean, essentially, all I did when I lived in America was shoot moto porn, and I've spoke about it, you know, <laughs> a bunch of times. Where it was like, how do we make the best dudes in the world just look so ridiculous? Use the craziest cameras, and and like yeah. we only showed that side of it, and that was the industry push, you know. And it's like you see every every opening ceremonies video is the same with like guys working out in the gym and the the image of like what being a motocross racer was for probably you know all the early 2000s until like probably only recently was just like racer 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 like no drinking (laughs) no this no that and the industry almost i feel like the industry almost kind of like ostracized that just the dudes that actually bought the bikes it put the races so far off into the distance and up on like this peak and it it sort of seemed untouchable and i think nowadays like a lot of dudes like man there's guys on youtube like that tyler Munigan kid and like cameron Namella, like yeah these random like jeff walker even these guys on youtube that have, they've got bigger followings and platforms than like pulp mx like And, you know, that's, like, the serious racer shit. And it's, like, these guys come along and they're just everyday dudes. And I think that's been partly maybe some of the the success of the podcast is it's just, like, I'm as fucking normal as it gets and I suck at riding (laughs) motocross. But it's, like, we're promoting the, the almost, like, the wholesome side of it. It's, like, beers with the boys, riding with your mates, hanging shit on each other. And then I think, like, you're bridging that gap between like the super fast racer dude that actually is good and then the drive your truck to the dunes and drink beers and send it and then ride 110s with mountain bike guys and you know what i mean so it's like <laughs> you're really are uh, like bridging that gap
0: yeah for sure i mean that yeah you hit you hit it on the head right there it's like i i didn't know who a lot of those guys were either like jeff walker and tyler and all those guys and they're, they're super cool like i've gotten to know them through youtube and just kind of watching their stuff because mainly because guys comment on my stuff and they're like oh this is like jeff walker's thing and then i'll go look at him up and then i'm like oh yeah like this kid kills it like it's rad what he's doing so um yeah but you know they're like coming from down here and working their way up where i'm coming from up here and working my way down to be more relatable so um yeah it's kind of like a uh role switch in a way where i'm you know trying to show like well hey like i was a racer but like i had a normal life too like i i I'm that's what I, it was always weird to me because I came I came from a completely different background like than the typical factory rider you know like all the factory riders you knew like this kid won Loretta's, he's going to be killing it in the lights class he's going to be the next yeah. you know, champion in the 450 class where I was like I was going to school and I was in college actually when I got my ride for with Troy Lee really? and I got called up because yeah when Christian Craig got hurt um he broke his back in 2000 I think this was like October of 2009 maybe yeah and I got a call like hey you want to fill in like we we saw what you did you know in your rookie season it wasn't great with a background or with a structure we can build you into something really good and I'm like yeah like dropped everything I had and and Mm -hmm. moved out to Temecula luckily I have friends I was like um just hit the ground running like I was like all right like if I have this opportunity and I'm going to actually make this dream a reality, then I got to you know put everything on the back burner and, and focus. So my background is more like I started from the bottom in the racing world and I had to claw my way to the top. Like literally every single opportunity I got, I, I said yes to and, and just tried to make the best out of it, um, which is a completely different perspective, especially right now where kids are making money in the amateur ranks. And then they're kind of, you know, almost mm. spoiled with with the attention and the products and the, and the bikes they're getting. I was the polar opposite. I came from from no pay for the first two years of my racing career to, to be a factory guy. So I think that's, um, I mean, if you can relate <laughs> to somebody, I think, in the racing world, I, I think I'm more relatable than most.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You'd be like, if uh, every like kind of young dude that dreams of being a factory kid that actually has a job, all the things that they would be thinking about in bed at night, like hoping to manifest into reality. yeah, It's pretty much all the shit that actually happened to you.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I did, I had a job actually out here in my hometown. Um, I went to college for a semester before I got the call to come fill in. So I was, what were you studying? You know, uh, dude, I didn't, I didn't really have, I had like two classes at the time or three. It was like,
1: oh math, yeah uh, yeah
0: like public speaking or something like that and like physical geography I just got into all the classes that my friends were taking because I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do and I was like all I know is is racing really like I I know how to have fun and I know uh, very little of like what I would do if I wasn't um racing you know so <laughs> I was just gonna kind of wing it for the first year figure it out and then and then try and figure out something real the next year but luckily I got that that
1: phone call man the america's uh definitely like when i went there i was pretty much at the age where ever like you're supposed to be in college like i think i was 21 or 22 when i moved there and uh yeah man everywhere i went i'd get like if i was with a, a chick or in like a group of like americans or whatever they'd be like oh so you know like would you study at college and it's like oh i didn't go <laughs> And everyone was yeah. just like, what do you, what do you mean you didn't go to college? It's was like, yeah, no, I just left high school and, and that's it. And like a lot, I found a lot of people that were doing what you were doing is they actually didn't have like a major or specifically, but they'd go to these classes just to get like credits for classes for like when they yeah. didn't know what they wanted to do. It's such a, I don't think people in Australia maybe understand like the pressure on American kids to go to college, like in australia oh, yeah, you can do huge. yeah you can do like apprenticeships and that and to be like if you're an electrical apprentice in australia in four years you're going to be killing it or like a, a builder but over there man it's just it's such a different world huh
0: it is it really is yeah there's so much pressure to go to college and and like but like you go to college and then you're just buried and in, in, yeah you know college funds and and you're paying the student loans off for the rest of your life i have so many friends that did that and they still don't know what they're gonna do like i remember being like 22 and like thankful for my success buying my first house and all my friends are still like in their last year of college like i don't know what i'm gonna do when i get out like <laughs> i'm like yeah. i kind of already got it figured out for the most part like i just gotta work my ass off and try and get faster on a dirt bike basically but I mean, that, that comes with huge responsibility, you know, like I didn't, the the huge part of the college scene out here is like go to school party, you know, have fun, meet people. Um, I never experienced that, but at the same time, like I knew like, all right, I got to do this. I like, this is my opportunity. Let's go. And I knew at the time too, like I was smart enough to realize like, all right, like I'm naturally a pretty lazy person. So like, (laughs) In order to get that stuff done, like I got, like, I'm gonna hire a trainer because somebody's got to hold me accountable to train. I'm gonna hire a higher riding coach because somebody's gonna make sure I'm doing my laps. So, like, um, the discipline of that was there, but like, I could never do that on my own. Like, I'm just not, I'm not a workhorse like some racers are. I just have to, I don't know, I had to be smart enough to realize, like, I got to hire the right people, keep me in check. And, and luckily, I, I like, my mechanic, I had the same mechanic for 10 years. He, he was always like, you know, hard on me but in a good way where like he keep me in check and let me know if I was being a dumbass and not doing my laps or not not putting enough work and, and just uh I don't know I was very very lucky to to sign on to that that Troy Lee team when I did and so many huge breaks came from that one ride
1: yeah and I mean that team like wasn't supposed to be that good really like no. when it when it first came out it and it's not disrespect but you wouldn't have said that in a few years just a few years time that team was going to produce Like, the riders that have gone through that Troy Lee KTM team and, like, Troy Lee Honda back then, I mean, yeah, talk about a lucky break just getting on a team that actually killed it. How many teams have you seen just come and go?
0: Yeah, I know. And, and like, it was cool, too, because when I signed on, it was like, all right, this is becoming a legit team and I'm becoming a legit racer so we were kind of in the same stages of like mm. where we were as as a team and as a rider and then I was on it for five years and like we gradually like when I got called up to fill in on factory Honda I'd take it and I'd kind of bridge that mm. that relationship between Honda and uh Troy Lee even more than it already was I'm um, not going to take complete credit for that but my success mixed with you know their effort Definitely got more attention to them. Mm. And then like when I, in 2015, when I signed my first factory deal on the 450 team, um, they signed their first factory KTM deal. So we kind of took those steps together and, and transitioned. together. I'm still, I was just at the test track with them like two days ago, just kind of checking in and, and hanging out. Cause my, like I said, my mechanic that was my mechanic for 10 years, he's now the crew chief there. So every time they need help testing or anything like that, they're like, they're like some of my best friends over there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty good mates with TK and, and he's just a, he's a legend as well. Like they, they got, they do have such a, <laughs> a cool, a cool uh crew of guys there and it's always felt quite like core and tight knit, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's a very small, even, even the Troy Lee company I feel like is, I know pretty much everyone on a first name basis, anybody who comes and goes and mm. yeah, that's like, been my my home for I mean i'd signed in 2009 so you know 11 12 years yep. 10 racing seasons with those guys was, was so cool
1: how's uh how's Basha look on that on that gas gas
0: he looks good um he's i mean he's typical Basha style still <laughs> like, looks like basha you know <laughs> over Revan and and crazy and a little sketchy at times but he, he knows it he embraces it like I was talking to him uh, on monday and he's just like yeah like get a little sketchy here, a little sketchy there. And like, they're just going over their, uh their program and their, their testing settings and stuff. So I, I think it's going to be a good year for those guys. I think, I think Justin's going to be a good fit. And, um and I think everything that he needs in his program, they're going to be able to provide to him. And I think vice versa, I think, you know, the racers that they need, I mean, they've had a, a, a rough couple years. And I think they, they I think Moseman, Mosman impresses me a lot. I love his riding He's style. Good, I think huh? he, he rides a lot. Yeah. He rides a lot like me. He's very, methodical and very technical so i'm excited to see what he does and then justin as well i think is going to be a a good fit for for sure for that team
1: the thing with mick they need a captain
0: too they need like a yeah yeah, they need like a like a you know like what i was you know i was like i was looking over like jesse nelson and and travis baker at the time and like you know these guys some of these kids they have questions or they need the push in the right direction or or some kind of guidance and i think that's good to have barsha there like last year when when it was all young kids like they didn't even know how to test so a lot of times i'd have to go and Mm. and test for them and and develop the bike with them and um, it was fun for me but at the same time like you need somebody who who knows who's kind of been through the ups and downs and and had the experience and i think barsha is a good fit for that
1: yeah i don't think many people i guess would expect that that's something that that needs to be on a team because it's like the staff of the staff of the team. And then the riders are the riders. And it's like, you're all on kind of the same team, but I guess it would just be like, you know, having like the offense and the defense. And it's like, there's the quarterback is like the captain of the offense. And it's like, the guys can sort of go to there without having to go to, you know, the team owners and, and managers and stuff. It's probably like an underrated thing in moto to have like a really good like team leader on the rider front
0: yeah for sure it's huge um i played that role for for a lot of years but i was lucky enough to have like will hahn mm. i was his teammate in 2010 so he kind of taught me how to to be like the team captain the role model and then when i stepped in um and i kind of already knew what to do and what to say or you know what to bounce off the guys and, and all that and then when i signed on to the, the big bike team i had trey canard which is huge for me because him and I get along so well. So I wouldn't even say it was a team captain type thing. It was just cool to like have somebody to bounce information off of and share lines and, and theories on the track or how it's going to develop or whatever. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, that's a huge, I think that's, like you said, I think it's one of the more, one of the more underrated things and and underappreciated things. And I think like it's, it's tough when you don't have that, like Kenny and I were close, but we were never like, like, you know, I, I always felt like he didn't want me to do as good as him, you know, which I never mm. really did. But like, where like Trey Canard, when I was his teammate, it was like, oh, like, you know, how are we going to do together? How are we going to, you know, how's the team going to do tonight? You know, it was more of a team effort than than an individual effort, effort. And when when Trey did good, I was stoked. When I did good, he was stoked. And, and if we, you know, I remember one night, us both on the podium one night, it was like probably one of my most memorable, memorable nights because it was such like a such a good feeling like throughout the entire team. And I think that's, that's more valuable. I think we need to see more of that in the racing world.
1: Yeah. And I think that from the fans perspective, so from people that are just watching the races on TV, you let's say you'd look at a dude like Pierce Brown, for instance, and you'd think that he's got it all figured out and he's on this team and he's killing it. Like you can imagine what he'd be feeling like, but you'd be completely wrong what he would be is shitting himself constantly and constantly second guessing himself, constantly doubting himself. Like those young guys that just go straight into the pros have so much pressure on them. They're so worried about losing their ride. Like they're not as calm and composed as what I feel like the average punter would probably credit them for.
0: Yeah. And you're, like like you said second guessing especially in supercross like you know it's the most nerve wracking part of our sport by far and you're if you're not comfortable in the track we're like dang is it me is it the bike can we adjust the bike or do i need to adjust my lines or do i need to warm up more so to have somebody with experience you can kind of see what they're doing like oh yeah like he's you know he's studying film like i'm gonna go study film oh Mm. he's put in an extra five, 10 minutes to warm up. Maybe, yeah, maybe I'm just a little cold or, or something like that. Or, uh, Oh, he's changing, changing to this tire. Maybe that's the right choice. And that, like when you're young like that, um, that's, you know, those questions are amplified by 10. Cause you're just like constant, it's mentally exhausting. And you, mm. if you can find time, like I was huge when I was racing into like getting my practice done, making sure that I was dialed. Like I knew my settings, I knew my lines, all that stuff, and then go, chill out, meditate, try and clear my mind. Cause it's like the nighttime is the most just mentally draining, um, just with nerves and, and saying hi to even it's saying hi to fans and family and, and all that. It, it's a big day. So to kind of have a, a older, like almost like an older brother in a sense at the race was the all time, uh, the whole time to, uh, have a little bit of guidance. That's it's, it's freaking huge. And, and, um, yeah, so, so point of the thing is I think Barsha is going to be, <laughs> gonna be yeah. good for those guys. And, and uh, I think Moseman he's he's dialed for sure. He's, he's got as long as he can stay healthy, uh, he's gonna be he's gonna be good. He is such like when I watch him ride, he's so like his line choice and, and the way that he effortlessly effortlessly rides the bike is, is gonna be huge. and I think as long as he can uh, keep his strengths in mind while he's riding and practicing and, and training, I think it will be a really good kid.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing with Mick as well is like he's one of the nicest and most humble people and he comes from a very nice and humble family. Like his parents are awesome, like his brother's awesome. In terms of support network to kind of get through some of the, the I guess, the gnarlier days of racing, he's the kind of guy that has a really good crew around him too. And I think like just you can't overstate how important humility is as a rider like not even in terms of not thinking you're awesome uh, uh, as a racer but just in the way that you deal with the mechanics and the way that you deal with you know even down to just dealing with like the truck driver and being appreciative of the food that's getting made and like there's so much that goes into like keeping the ecosystem like right under the truck so that you actually can just go out and perform and i think that yeah, Mick's the kind of guy that I just I just can't see him running into like any of the issues off the track that could kind of cloud, you know, or like muddy that water with with him.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. It's it has to be. I think that's a really good point you brought up. Like it has to be a a mutual respect throughout the entire crew. You know, like yeah. that. I I still talk to pretty much all the truck drivers that I've ever you know driven for the team because yeah they are they're your chefs between the motos they're cooking for you in the mornings and and i I always love that like they're they're such good dudes i i think the truck drivers are probably the most like (laughs) underappreciated and and, you know they don't get any publicity or anything like that like yeah the the mechanics and the the team managers get interviews every now and then but you're not hearing from the truck drivers and that whole crew is it's a they're good people for sure and yeah i think you need you need i i was probably like i don't know i i always hated when when like guys would pull off the track and blame the bike um that was like my biggest pet peeve so like i don't know i was always like all right what can we do like well how, how can we make this better you know getting mad and getting frustrated and pissed off at, at one another is not gonna mm. resolve anything so yeah you, you definitely need that yeah that camaraderie and that that respect throughout everybody in the team like mechanics crew chief team manager uh truck driver everybody you know because and and the truck drivers are the ones getting the footage too so like they might see some stuff that we don't see so uh it's good to have like spotters throughout the entire uh, track or, or whatever wherever you're at it's it's good to have you know people helping you out in every direction
1: so you were talking before about how hard the night was for supercross there's so much downtime as well where it I don't like, again, I think people at at home, if you're not around like the truck environment to see how it works for guys that are under those awnings, it's like, you've got some sort of scattered practices in the morning. And then there's just this massive amount of downtime that just, you're just doing nothing. And it's just like every single week for 17 rounds in a row, it's just hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait. And I haven't really thought about it that much, but Like, were you, was it nerve wracking every single time to just like go through that process of waiting?
0: A little bit. It always kind of depended on which city you're in. You know, like for me, all the West Coast rounds, I always had a lot of friends and family at. So I always hated like not being able, that I wasn't able to, but I was kind of strict on myself with like my recovery time because that, that time where I was down like after the practice i w- i really tried to like get as much rest out of it as i could i used to like go up my- in my bunk turn off all the lights and i'd actually meditate quite a- quite a bit like try and like zone out and kind of get like i don't know back to square one with where yeah. the day began and then try and take a nap and <laughs> wake up and listen to like super hardcore like heavy metal music <laughs> to, like yeah yeah and i was always huge on coffee too so i always just drink a ton of coffee before i would go down down and race but um yeah there, there is a there's definitely like a lot of day because you get there at like 8 30 or 9 for riders meeting and then you're not racing until well for hundred you're not racing until like 9 30 or 10 so it's like a really really long day so you definitely like have to have like a program like okay this time mm-hmm. i'm doing this when i get done with practice i'm doing this like i'm gonna eat now i'm gonna chill out now like you, you have to like work it in around the stuff that you you have with like sponsors and media and all that stuff but i always tried to have like a very structured day like as far as my meditation and my naps and and all that went so what yeah um, it's a long long day
1: what sort of meditation did you do like i'm i'm fairly into it um as a part of just like daily life um and i think yeah. now it's funny like back well i mean it's only been a couple of years for me that i've been really into it but you don't really hear that many people talking about it and if people talk about it you're like oh okay that's kind of it's kind of weird like it still has that that stigma around it but i feel like yeah um one of my buddies he's uh, one of my best mates he's now he's doing like he's done like this 30 day where he's done it every single day he's like oh i feel like this is just gonna be in my life now And he's like, it's funny, man. I feel like I'm on an early wave of eating healthy, like back when, (laughs) you know, no one really ate healthy. And then if you ate, if you were doing like kale shakes and shit, you were kind of like a weirdo. But, uh, and he's like, I feel like that's kind of like meditation now, but what sort of stuff were you doing and and what like got you into doing that?
0: Um, I, a trainer, Blake Savage, he was my, my most recent trainer. He, yeah, he's the one that got me into it. Um. But yeah, I don't know why it's kind of got that stigma a little bit where it's, I don't know, it almost seems more like hippie than than moto, I guess. But I always loved it because you just, you kind of learn a little bit more about the way that your brain works, I think. Like where you're just like back to square one. Like there's, because all of us, like no matter what you do, there's so many things that you you can't control throughout the day. Mm. And I feel like meditation helped you like come back to square one and like, all right, like, these are the things that I can control. These are like, this is what I can do to make myself better. And these are the things that I'm just gonna have to let go. Mm. Um, and I, I, it helped me. I started doing it. I think 2017 was my first year I started meditating and I just use like, I use guided meditation, which I mean, it's easy to find that online, but I use an app called headspace. That's super popular. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of that, but, um, just to be able, like I said, just to get back to square one. And then like, um, it helped me a lot in injuries too. like mm. every time I was injured and I was kind of on that panic of like, Oh, like what event do I have to get back for? Like how soon, like what's my timeline look like? you you have so many questions and it's really, like I said, stuff, some of it you can't control because sometimes injuries take longer. Sometimes they, you know, you get lucky and they, they don't take as long as they say, and it was just easier for me to like slow down let it, you know, let the future come to me kind of thing. And then like when I had my big injury in, in, um, Tampa, when I broke my pelvis and my back, like that, I was like, so just in a shitty mind space for a long mm. time about, you know, like I, I couldn't get this idea out of my head, like, fuck if the bike, cause the bike is what broke me. You know, like I landed on the ground, the bike hit me. And then like, at the time I was like, if it would have hit me a little higher, I got my spinal cord and I would have been paralyzed. Like I was screwed like mentally after that. Mm and meditation and um i had a sports therapist at the time too and and she helped me a lot i think that's another thing too i think people don't really like take like we have like especially as a racer you're like okay i gotta ride so i need a riding coach i gotta train i need a trainer but then the last missing link other than you know a nutritionist is is your mental space Mm. like how like what can i do how can i have another advantage and that was uh sports therapy was like just like learning because we have a lot of bad days too, where you're, you you're not the fastest at the track or something like that, yeah. where you need to really search for like the good in everything. So like meditation and, and mental therapy was, was huge for me. And then it was even bigger after my injury where I needed to like, I really needed like somebody to, I I, I was worried actually, when I first got hurt that, people were going to tell me like, you have to race again. Cause there was a little bit after that where I wanted to retire straight after my, after my injury. And I was, didn't want anybody telling me you have to go race again. Like you have to get over this. And once I got past that, once I was like, Oh, nobody's making me do this. Then it was like, Oh, like this is my own choice. I can control this. And that, um, definitely like turned into something positive for me, uh, instead of being this huge negative upset in my life and, and really almost ruining or well, it did ruin my career eventually but like it almost it almost ended it early where i, I really just like i hated dirt bikes for a long time during that that uh that small time period
1: yeah man fuck it. it's it's a pretty gnarly game that that you guys play and at, at the level that you guys you know play it at and then when you do have something that's that you know severe happen to you you know it's gotta just bring up all of that doubt and if you don't have tools to deal with it um yeah i mean i i think yeah like just in general people are so lost in thought and i think that that's you know like you said when you're meditating and you you're seeing that the patterns that your brain kind of produces and you know you say the same things in your head over and over and you refer to the same things and your mind goes back to these same places and you know, one of the, the big things for me, like I'll, I use waking up, which is like the Sam Harris app. And I don't know if, um, (laughs) I don't know is Headspace Like, does that go into like non duality, like the no self sort of style stuff, or is it like, what sort of style do they talk about in like the guided meditations and that?
0: Yeah. It's more like just like self-awareness, like, yeah, yeah, like more self-aware, like, Like what? What am I? Why am I doing these things? What What am I doing? Like I noticed, like through that, like the biggest thing I've noticed is like, like I'm a I'm a foot tapper. Like if I'm sitting, dude, I'm tapping my foot right now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So like, I've noticed like that I'll be doing it because of of what's going on around me. Whether it's like a noise Mm. or something like that. You know, that's like one. I guess it's a small thing I've noticed where I'm like, oh, like I'm just like kind of. Fidgety. in my environment like if i hear if there's like a song playing in the background or there's you know road noise or something like that i start tapping my foot because it's like i'm you know my brain's processing these noises and like i'm trying to move as fast as these noises and then i like with that like i'm able to actually just do it without meditation now where i'm just like all right like like i just got to let the world kind of happen mm. around me and like <laughs> get back to like square one like okay i can control my breathing right now i can control not moving my foot (laughs) like yeah stuff like that so it's it's more like self-aware like like being uh more aware of what's going on in your in this exact moment type thing
1: yeah 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 it's um i think too one of the powerful things that you can sort of realize with it as well is that you are what you really are is yourself before the thoughts. Like if you take all of the thoughts away out of your head and all the negativity or the doubt or whatever, like you're still you. So there still is a, there still is a thing that is pre thought. And that's probably more what you are than the thoughts themselves. And I think we sort of run into problems when we like identify with the stories. Like if you start telling the story in your head of if that bike hit me and I would have been paralyzed. You start identifying with the story that you're telling yourself. Yeah. But if you take all of that away and there's no thoughts and there's no story, you're still Cole Sealy and you're fucking cruising. Like you're fine. Yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I think that's, that's one. I know it's, it's popular in other sports, but I think dirt bike racing being what it is, I think it's like, not that we're too good for it but like it's it's one tool i think that a lot a lot more racers or just everyday riders could be um could benefit from it you know just like being more self-aware and being more in the moment i i'm one of those people too that like i have things that you know for the next two months i gotta do this this and this and like i'm constantly thinking about that and i'll be like in like i'll be out riding with my friends and thinking about that stuff and i'll catch myself back you know what like i got to just Mm. turn my brain off and and live in this moment and i'm out here having fun with my friends on my bike like let's just do this and and be in the moment right now
1: yeah man no i totally agree and it's uh there's definitely a thing too where like there's 20 of you guys on a supercross start line. You all know who each other are. You've all been around each other for a really long time. You all know who's fucking who. You all know this guy is now with this chair and there's a there's a very definite pecking order and you know you get a guy like Cooper that's cocky as fuck talking mad shit on the start <laughs> line to everybody like so you don't it makes sense that you're not going to be out there saying like, oh yeah, I'm working with a sports psychologist and oh, I've just been meditating for 20 minutes in my bunk. Like, y- you know, you're, there's like, it's a schoolyard sort of deal and there's a certain level of, I think, appearance that needs to be kept up to where you know that you ain't going to get fucked with essentially and it's like you can kind of, you're kind of projecting this this part on the pecking order, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's like, you know what? anybody else knowing your weaknesses or anything like that? <laughs> it's like a, like a image you got to portray, I guess.
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, it's, it's definitely, um, yeah, like it is a real, like you guys have all known each other for so long. Right? There's so much history on the start line. And I think that maybe fans just take it every weekend for what it is, or maybe what's happened the weekend before, but it's like, you guys have all known each other since you're, you know, 10 years old.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, yeah, I, I, yeah, it is like a, it's like high school. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, we've I've dealt with this guy forever. And and that's what's been cool about stepping away, like with, from racing is like actually getting to know some of the riders, like, you know, Anderson and I had this huge rivalry for most of our careers. And, you know, now that I'm not racing him and I have gotten closer. And then like, even like Dean Wilson who's you know, I've competed in multiple titles against him and hated the guy for you know beating me and all this stuff but then when i step away and and we hang out it's it's a completely different that and i always liked that like i always knew like you know we're we're gonna be around each other for 10 15 years like why not Mm. you know like each other or at least talk to each other a little bit because when this is all over like i want to go have some beers with these guys i want to hang out and and you know talk some shit. But like, if you're not, if you're too wrapped up in it, which I mean, I guess you should be cause it's a career, but at the same time, like, you, you know, we're, we're, we're gotta be friends at some point in our lives. So, um, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough. Cause yeah, like you said, you don't want them to know your weaknesses either, but yeah, you gotta keep that image up.
1: The, the thing where I said this to Ricky and Chad, when they were on the podcast together, that, you know, there's only, like, let's say Ricky, Chad, and James. Let's take those three, for example, right? They're the the gnarliest dudes to ever do it in terms of, like, the rivalry, the money, the private jets. Like, the sport peaked yeah. at those dudes. And they didn't like each other for the longest time. And, I mean, you know, James and Chad have just... They had that sort of moment at one of the Supercrosses this year. And, and Ricky and Chad um like they'd say they're friends now but man can you imagine there's two other dudes on planet earth that could relate to what you went through in your career and you could just never talk to them like can you imagine if you could never (laughs) talk to another dude that raced pro like you'd feel on an island
0: yeah for sure you would it's yeah it wouldn't be a very good feeling so i mean i'm lucky enough to have some pretty cool peers i guess where i can and I'm sure some of those guys are going to step away in the coming years and we'll hang out more. But like now that I've, cause I, I obviously retired at the end of 19 and then this year I, I helped with some of the announcing. So seeing those guys and not being in like, mm. you know, kind of a threatening, you know, like, Oh, this guy, like he could beat me tonight kind of thing. It was, it was cool to kind of touch base with everyone and, and shoot the shit for a little bit. You know, I know they got to go race, but it was cool to kind of hang out with some of the guys that I race against. And now we can, be 100 cool with each other
1: <laughs> yeah dude you and ando are like the two dudes that should probably do a trip together like in terms of <laughs> you, you know you both it's understand funny, dude, we
0: hated each other for so long and we're like right? so much alike like we're identical yeah. like I, I hung out with him a bunch at the end of last year and i'm like dude we're like almost too much alike where like you know he's he's i mean he shows it a little bit more than i did with like the party scene and stuff but like it's we're just two of the same exact people so yeah i know we would have some fun together once if he ever steps away i think we need to schedule that in and, and do it do a trip together and have some fun show the other sides of who we are
1: yeah man he's honestly like i love that dude man like he is so yeah. so fun like at the races he's so cool to you he'll work with you like whatever you need if you have to like work in a in a pro capacity with him But then like at an after party, he'll fucking send it to the moon with you. And like, he's just like, he's just the, the, literally the coolest dude.
0: Yeah. He's he's super fun. We've had some really fun times together for sure.
1: What, um, we got, we should talk about that season with you guys. Cause that, that's probably in recent times, (laughs) that's probably one of the gnarliest rivalries in modern times, I would say. And I, I don't know that a lot like the lights class has seen a rivalry quite like that i mean osborne and savachi they kind of i wouldn't even say that was like a rivalry that was like one season and savachi yeah. kind of lost out on that but you guys it was like years man of just like absolutely yeah. hammering each other
0: yeah well it started that last year 2014 or both of our last years in the 250 class that was like yeah and it sucked for me too because i was sick i had like a stomach virus all year, not all year, but like for the first six rounds. And I could not shake it. Like I couldn't eat. I couldn't, but like, yeah, him and I, I remember like Anaheim won, obviously, when he got the best of me and like passed me in the last turn. That round and Phoenix, the next one, were like, we, I think we beat everyone by like 20, 20 to 25 seconds. It was something stupid like that. And I was like, dude, like, why didn't one of us race the other coast? Like, what the hell? Like, we could have just been dominating. But, like, it was, I was so mad It's like you could have gone the other side fucking you have like a team that goes both coasts, and you chose this one like damn it oh
1: that's so funny I hadn't thought of that yeah yeah, yeah I mean I, it was i thought about it yeah I bet yeah I mean it was it was so gnarly to to watch and I don't know like the lights class is always kind of gnarly but not that gnarly like it just seemed like you guys were just into it constantly and then you go into the 450 class and it's just the the same like the amount of times you guys saw each other on the track and it's not like i mean you could say the same thing for like western pike and vince freeze like that always won each <laughs> other but it was like that was for 10th <laughs> you guys were like yeah that's way this, up the top wins
0: and then yeah and then podiums and yeah the 450 class though like the first year 15 our, our first uh, rookie seasons i was like i already got him like he i didn't really see him that much like we'd see every now and then but like I got rookie of the year. I won a race. I was like, all right, finally shook this guy. Like he's done. <laughs> and then 16, he just comes out swinging. I'm like, God damn it. Like he got me so many times. 16, I think was the, was like the peak of it though, because he got me, I remember it was like two weekends in a row. And the last weekend it was Atlanta. And he just like, I was fucking with him. It's kind of my fault too, but I was messing with him pretty bad <laughs> during the main event. And then the last lap, he just, I didn't even hit the ground. Like he just took the bike out from underneath me, like completely like let go of the bike. And I just was standing in a turn. Like what the hell just happened? Like I was so furious. I I remember like he went over the finish line and then I was like, I'm going to kill him. And uh, my mechanic stopped him and I was just seeing red. And all I could think about was going back to his pit and just like literally starting a fist fight with him. (laughs) And I, blew right by him my mechanic stopped him and i blew past him to go to his pit to find him and like i didn't know i'd already just passed him and i was just like where the fuck is he and like, they're like they kicked me out of his pit and like <laughs> no it way, would be i'm glad i didn't see yeah <laughs> <laughs> I to murder him.
1: yeah dude yeah. Oh, i mean fuck but for fans though that stuff's so good like that's kind <laughs> of the that's kind of the worst part too right is that like you just know that that's all the fans want to see
0: Oh, yeah, it's all that media is going to talk about. It's mo- all that fans are going to be commenting on Instagram and stuff. It's, But, I mean, looking back, it it made for good entertainment I guess and I, and like he's such a successful writer too like if I was gonna have a rivalry like might as well be a good writer, you know <laughs> hey that is true Oh, oh well. <laughs>
1: and nothing nothing yeah. against Vince Freeze but like I feel like everyone's got beef with free so at least you got yeah. beef you, you know you got like legit beef with a legit dude <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah and we squashed it I, I actually I think it was that same year 16 I was like hey like because we went all season long hating each other and then at like the, because at the monster party, at like after Vegas, you know, everyone just lets yeah. their hair down. It's like, all right, we've been doing this for three months or four months straight. Like, let's have some fun. I remember seeing him there. I was like, hey, dude, like we're both gonna be in this for a while. Like, we need to fucking squash this shit. Like, let's <laughs> let's man up. Like, let's let's be bigger people about this. Like, I don't want no more drama between the both of us.
1: And and like, what was his reaction to that? Like, do you remember the combo? We like, were yeah, just was, standing in the yeah, club? he
0: was so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean we both were but like he was, I mean he he was like yeah you're probably right. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, I mean no, nah, he he's a he's a legit legit good dude. And I think man like you guys are drawing some crazy parallels now in terms of what you're trying to bring to the sport, you know, like I don't think there's that many guys that are actively in racing right now that care about 10 years down the road of not just like where they're going to be, but where the sport's going to be. And I feel like both right. of you guys are those two dudes, you know?
0: Yeah, I know. It's, it's definitely, um, like, uh, re- like you said, like Ricky's like one of the, like, he is the greatest of all time, but like, um, it's made the sport very like jock. Like mm. you need, like, you're going to, you have to be a legit world-class athlete, which I mean, you should be, it makes it more safe. I- I'd say, but you're going faster. Um but it's made it a little vanilla. Like these guys are just really fast with no real kind of personality outside of that. So yeah, I mean, Jason's kind of like the, the bad of the sport right now where like, you know, he's a factory rider. He gets good results, but at the same time he's, he's having fun and you can tell that, you know, he's enjoying himself. He's got a cool crew around him with like Tom and, and all his buddies. So um, yeah, I, I think that's cool. The sport definitely needs that. Like we don't, we don't have that stuff anymore and, yeah then with, with what i'm trying to do just with like i don't know I, I i wanted to show like i can like you can race and then you can go on and do more than just race and still be present and mm. relevant and still have a ton of fun like I, that's all I, I and i think it shows like i get a lot of compliments like dude it looks like you're having such a good time I was like yeah i am like yeah. i just wanted to kind of share the the retirement experience with everyone like you know this is I'm done racing but I'm not done as a person I'm not done riding or or enjoying my time on my dirt bike
1: it was it a like how long in your head I suppose that that crash where you broke your hip probably set a bunch of stuff in motion but in terms of like the end of your career like was this always your plan and you sort of had this in your head you're like all right I'm gonna do the YouTube thing and I'm, you know, like do these bike builds and we, was it already this thing that you were sort of like planning on rolling out or did it happen suddenly or how did that, the end sort of come about?
0: Um, it kind of, well, so when I crashed, like I said, when I, when I was pretty over it after my, my, um, uh, back and my, my pelvis and everything else I broke, I was like, at that point i was like okay the end is coming for sure like i know it's near <laughs> like uh but like at that point like once i kind of got went through the motions of that i was like all right like if i quit now i feel like i'm quitting i'm not retiring like the, mm. the sport took me out i want to go out on my own terms so i wanted to do one more year just to kind of make sure that was this the right decision for me and um you know, but then again, to sign up for another 30 races is, is a lot to take on, but I was like, screw it. I, I have to do it. Um, and then like 2019, beginning of 2019, I got that, uh, that 450 L that I built. And I was like, I w- at the, when I was hurt, I, all I would do is watch vlogs and watch YouTube and I, I'm super into cars. So I'd always watch on the car side of things. I was like, well, mm. why can't I do this? Like for moto, you know, I want to, kind of see what it's like if we can grow an audience through moto and so when i got that l i was like i'm gonna do it with this bike like it's it's brand new there's a bunch of hype around it already like um it'll you know kind of maybe Hondo will pat me on the back for building this thing and we can kind of form a relationship and i can take this into my next chapter in life because i was already kind of thinking about retiring at that point and i wasn't for sure even was before definitely, the crash like, uh no no this was after this was the beginning yeah. of last year in 2019 yeah so i i was like kind of had some ideas that i was playing with it wasn't a for sure thing i knew i was gonna have to cross that bridge eventually of like you know you make a ton of money riding when you're a factory racer like eventually it's gonna stop like is it gonna stop now or is it gonna stop later eventually i'm gonna have to cross the bridge so i'm just gonna do it now i guess yeah and um i wanted to kind of have a platform underneath me so i kind of was doing it while i was racing like introducing the youtube build type thing while i was racing and and i got a a lot of positivity out of it like from fans and from sponsors and people that were just like stoked because it was something new to our industry really like at least from somebody that was current and racing and and uh relevant as a factory racer so that kind of set things in motion and then when I, i i remember like I don't remember the exact timeline of everything, but I remember it was indie last 2019. I remember being on the track and like, I remember somebody telling me like this was years and years and years ago. I think it was like, uh, I don't remember who, what racer it was. It's like, yeah, like when I, like I knew one night when I went to go race that, that like, that was it. Like, that's all, I don't want to do this anymore. And I remember having that feeling like, when I pull off the track, like I don't want to fucking do this anymore. I, I hate this stuff. Like this is not fun. This is, I'm not enjoying myself. I'm miserable. Every time I get on the plane, every time I have to leave home, like I do not want to do this anymore, but I was already mid season. I couldn't stop then. So I just was like, All right, I'm just going to push through this year. I know I'm going to retire at the end of the year. Um, like just get through this, um, do it for the fan or for the sponsors, do it for the fans, do it for the mechanic and everybody who's, putting in so many man hours to get me to the races, like I have to do it for them. And then um and then kind of manifesting in that and then like, you know what? Maybe like maybe I just need one good result and maybe mm. this will all change. Cause it was kind of like on this string of like like sixth, seventh, tenth, like not great results where I wasn't like stoked on, you know, it wasn't my best. And then I remember winning uh the heat race at Denver Supercross, like Cooper and Eli were right behind me the whole time battling. Like, I, it was like one of those races where I was like, Oh, I remember shit, like that going,
1: race, dude.
0: Like, I'm going fast right now. Like, nobody's beating me. Like, this is like my time. And I remember going over the finish line and I was like, That wasn't it. Like, I don't, like, that didn't do it for me. Like, I, I still, I'd rather just go home right now. I don't want to really? line up for the main event. Yeah. And it was hard. Like, I was like, You know what? That, that right there tells me, like, I'm, I'm not like, not cut out, I don't know if it's the right word, but just not, it's not my thing anymore. Like, I don't want to be here. I don't, I don't mm. love this sport anymore. I, I love the sport. I don't love being in the sport. So, um, like that was kind of like my moment I'd say, but to circle back to your question, like I, I just had this platform where I was like, you know, like, I have a ton of fans I have people that really like the, the YouTube stuff. Um, I want to keep doing that. And it's, it's kind of had its hiccups here and there, you know, I'm not as consistent with it as I used to be, but like I have some things in the works right now with with some brands and and deals that I'm trying to put together that we can kind of um, amplify everything and make it even more enjoyable for for people and and do some cool builds. But yeah, like I've I've had a ton of fun with that. L, it was super fun because you know, like I said, nobody had done it before. And like I mm. thought I was doing Honda a favor with like moving some units. Like, hey, guys, like, like here, like I'm helping you out. Like, you know, you want to do something next year, but that didn't work out the way I wanted it to. And then, like, the 252 stroke everyone loves two-strokes. I don't know anybody in the sport that doesn't like a two-stroke. So, yeah. I mean, it's sitting right behind me. <laughs> um, so, doing that was, like, everyone loved that thing. And then um, just the most recent stuff has been been cool. But I have some other stuff that I'm planning and, and working on and stuff that's kind of in motion already that'll be even bigger next year and, and try and hit the ground running with that kind of stuff.
1: Man, was there, was there like, a weird feeling of guilt to like be winning a heat race like so many people And i'm not trying to paint you negatively here but i'm just like playing <laughs> the, playing like the other side of it it's like so many people would kill to win one heat race and it's like you can go over the finish line and be like fuck yeah wow that's not it for me like what what's the <laughs> you know and i'm not it's not a negative like that's a reality and like i understand where you come like how you can get to that point and i mean for my own experience like all i ever dreamed of as a kid was to be like in america and to be able to go to glen helen and buds creek and you know all these crazy places and i remember the first time i ever went to buds creek i was like because they they just didn't let me film and i was like fuck this i'm watching from the truck it's so hot like you just get that over it you know and it's like you can have this thing that you've wanted your whole life and then when you get it it's just like fuck it's too hot (laughs) you know what i mean but it's like there's a i had like a weird feeling of guilt where i was like dude i'm i'm fucked up like this is this is weird
0: yeah i mean i i should feel guilty about that i guess like from uh from where i came from and and kids chasing that for sure but at the time i mean yeah like now i do a little bit but at the time it was more like i had these questions in my head i needed to answer yeah so it was almost more of like a relief if there's any guilt on my shoulders it was more it was honestly more towards my mechanic because like I've always been very um close with every mechanic I've had like I said I've had the same one for 10 years and then it's Jordan when right? I had um Jordan or Rich Simmons was my mechanic for oh, the, yeah. the 10 years and then my last year he um he moved to North Carolina so um, oh, okay, I I got lucky enough to score Jordan and he's him and I have been friends. He was a mechanic on the Troy Lee team. So I'd known him for forever. Like we had like, yeah. worked together for two or three years on the Troy Lee team. And then, like, him and I were just always close. Like, I was just somebody I always enjoyed being around. Yeah. And I knew he was a super hard worker before that. And then when he was my mechanic, I knew he, you know, I
1: knew he really how knew. hard. He really
0: worked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was more for him. I was like, damn it. Like, you know, this guy works so damn hard. And, like, I just, like, not taking it for granted, but it's just like, I'm just, my mind's not in it. Yeah, and Like, heart's I, just, not in like it. I feel bad for him. He's yeah. But then again, he uh, to have him to be able to be the stepping stone to him, to get to factory Honda and to work under the factory Honda team. And now he's Ken Roxon's mechanic. Like it, it paid off for him. So I don't feel as guilty about it now. Um, but yeah, at the time, and I think he kind of knew what was up anyways, but, um, yeah, if there was any guilt, it was more, more towards Jordan.
1: Yeah. And then, so you pretty much retire and then you just like head down, bum up like silly speed factory. And then you, do you do, <laughs> do you have something with like bump start coffee or like, so you kind of yeah. had this stuff in mind, like I'm going to hit the ground running and start to like keep make, cause I mean, I'm sure you would have made millions of dollars over the career, but it's like, that shit don't last that long
0: no for sure and it it costs a lot to run a program like a a legit program where you're at the top is a lot like i got what do you reckon like, you, what have what do you, reckon you would here? have spent a
1: year like on your career like what's your outgoings for your career
0: i really don't even know i mean it's so expensive because and this like it'd be hundreds like, of thousands right Oh, for sure i mean like I, I had my house in california i had my trainer like to run my program in in florida alone was probably 100 to one hundred fifty thousand a year and i'm only there five months out of the year like that's because wow. i gotta rent an apartment i gotta hire a practice bike mechanic i gotta you know the facility itself i don't want to drop a number but that's a huge expense yeah um and you guys where were you at it doesn't matter if you're
1: sandbox right uh
0: yeah, I was at Moto Sandbox, which yeah. was cool. Like, I was, you know, you get what you pay for. Like, I was one rider next to Cincerello, uh Roxon Sexton, and, like, Alex Martin. You know, it was, like, we had some legit riders. We had this insane facility where they're grooming it every day. Like, the Supercross tracks get beat up, so they're grooming it every day. The outdoor track is insane. Like, it's just, it's, like, it's second to none. You know, it's, like, the best track designer, the best, mm. you know, equipment workers you can have, but it's expensive. You know, that's the point to answer your question. It's expensive to be run a program in California and in Florida. And, but like, that's what you have to do. Like, there's no, like if I don't do that, like when the results that I saw when I went there in 2017 were so much better. I was like, I have to do this every year. Like I need a dip. I need to switch up from California. Like summer in California sucks. Like all the tracks are just beat to shit and you know, maintenance isn't there. You're, Riding with a bunch of you know regular guys, which is fine, but like when you're trying to moto, it's scary because you got guys cutting the track and yeah, and it's sketchy being like just
1: a little bit faster than dudes at like you know like my level. Like I'm not that fast, but I'm be faster than the average dude that goes you know that works a job all week and rides like once a month. Like I'm faster than that guy. And it's fucking sketchy just being a local track going my speed. So imagine going two to three times faster than my speed. It's just like, it's just like, and then you
0: got to be out there for 40 minutes. So, like, you're going through, like, all right, now I passed this guy 20 times and he's off the track. Now I got to pass this other guy 20. Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's scary. So, like, having a facility like that where you're, um, private and you're only riding with really good guys is definitely huge benefit but like i said it's, it's really expensive
1: mm. is there like a, a, a pressure from the teams to make that investment in yourself but and it's kind of weird like have you ever thought about it in terms of let's say like the nfl like in the nfl tom brady ain't paying for to use the gym and he ain't paying yeah. to use the field and it's like obviously we're comparing apples and oranges but it's like I don't think that many people understand the level of investment that moto dudes have to make into their own career at the very top level. And it's like, there's not that many sports that happen in that way.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's, I mean, yeah, like you said, it's, it's comparing apples and oranges. Cause it's, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I wish we were a little bit more like, um, like F1 or moto GP where, testing and practicing days were like limited <laughs> mm. almost like, like, you know, where we only had certain days on certain tracks and could only ride or test so much. Uh, it would definitely level it, level the playing field a bit more. Um, uh, we'd have to get a lot more creative with working on technique and all that, all that stuff. But yeah, it's, I mean, you, you kind of, I never got pressure from, from teams, it's more pressure from within. Like, mm-hmm. like I said, I knew I wasn't, I wasn't responsible enough, I guess for lack of a better term to, to put my training in, if I was writing my own schedule or, or if I even had to like, if I had like a Monday through Sunday checklist to do, I know I'm not, you know, motivated or responsible enough to get that done on my own. <laughs> so like, I want a trainer telling me to do it. And I want yeah. a writing coach telling me what laps to do and what I'm doing on the track to make me better. So there's more of a pressure for myself. Like I know this is the right decision and I should do this. So I'm going to do it.
1: Man, it's interesting that you say that about MotoGP, Like I'm really good friends with Jack Miller and he just okay, rides. Oh, yeah, I'm not Jack. Oh, he's a, he's a legend. He, um yeah. he just rides Moto flat out. Like just absolutely loves Moto. Yeah. And, but yeah, he's like, he's just not on the MotoGP bike that much. And I think the last time I spoke to him, um, just with COVID, it's been all weird, but he like was testing on just like a regular street bike pretty much. And it's just like, yeah. it's like, yeah, well, everything's jacked up. So, but it it's sort of, it, that's always been one thing that just like blows my mind. You'd go to the Stewart compound and you'd watch James pump out these laps and then you'd watch him just cartwheel, dude. Like just body <laughs> on the line to just this insane degree. And then it's like, cartwheels this thing like bike's totaled he drives off he's going to recovery mode and then he's just back at the track the next day <laughs> to pump out the same laps after just this yeah. insane crash like the expectation for these guys for you know the guys at your level to be on the bike and just to risk it every single day it's just like yeah. dude it's heavy it's such a heavy responsibility yeah,
0: it's no wonder there's there's so many injuries, right? Cause we're like going so fast for so many days of the year. It's Actually surprised. There's not more injuries really.
1: Yeah, man. And like, I'd always have real weird feelings about like from the film side of things, like asking writers to do things. I was just like, yeah, it never sat well with me to when we'd get given a brief and like Dunge was the Dunge was like the best and the worst Dunge would never do more laps than what he wanted to do like he'd never film anything extra you could never ask him but you know like some guys would like you know justin hill was be a guy like if i ever had to film with him he'd do whatever you wanted but it always felt weird for me asking guys to do something <laughs> because it was just like i don't want to be the guy that says like hey man i just need like a couple more passes through the whoops and then a black locks up or you're going over the bar or something happens, like. It just yeah. you're on, you're only a second away from like disaster every single time you're on the bike, and to do that yeah. over a ten year career, it's it's a lot to ask.
0: No, it is for sure, definitely. And then yeah, then you go racing, and you got eighteen other guys next to you that are ready to take you out or whatever. You're just like, yeah, it's, it's high anxiety all all the time.
1: <laughs> what now that you've been out for a couple of years? What, what would you change? Like if you got given just like the, you become Dave Prater and you could make any rule in Supercross, what would you do to try and make the sport like better for, I guess you're a fan as well as a rider. Like, so what would you do for a fan's perspective and what would you do for the rider's perspective to make the sport better?
0: Um, so I've always thought like, so like over the, especially the last decade, like especially the last decade, that the bikes have gotten so fast and the riders have gotten so good that Mm -hmm. like the last element really is the track so i always thought like okay like why why the hell are we quadding things like doesn't make any sense to me like why not just make the triples bigger (laughs) (laughs) um like i always thought like we should make the jumps like more spaced out and maybe bigger like as far as like less steep not, not less steep but like more gradual and then mm. a little bit more spaced out so like a triple would be as big as you could go you know granted you might want to make sure that 250s could still make it but like a triple in a rhythm section i'm saying not not a regular supercross triple but yeah i always thought that that was like we need to like somehow regulate how big everyone's going because it'll make it safer as long as if there's not a quad or some stupid rhythm section on a track then guys aren't having to risk it um they know, like, this is the lines that I got to take. These are the big lines. These are the more technical lines. Um, and I think I think just the way that the tracks are designed, not necessarily built, because the track builders do do a really good job, but if they're designed, like a 450 can come out of a turn and, you know, in second gear and you can jump 65, 70 feet, like <laughs> within, like, <laughs> it's, it's I don't know, 12 feet. Like, yeah, like, why not just make the jump that big? I don't want to jump that far and then have to jump like a hundred foot quad right after that. Like, I think it could be a little bit more thought out. Um, just the, the general track design. And then if guys aren't going as big and the, the rhythm sections are more regulated then the, the racer racing gets closer, you know, like nobody's doing something extra huge. Mm. They don't have a huge advantage. It's just more like, Oh, this guy's taking these turns really fast. Well, he's going to be the faster rider. Or, you know, if it's more comparable in speed, then I think the racing will be a little tighter and, and in the end a little bit more safe
1: yeah what's the pressure that you feel when you see like uh, who's someone that always does big shit when in terms of lines on the track but like what's the pressure you feel when it's like you you know that guy's always going to do something big does that do you feel the pressure then that like you have to do that as well or it's just it's just over
0: yeah i well that's pretty much how i that's how you crash in Tampa, right yeah, cuz it was there's was a quad in the middle of a section I was, and I was second in points and I was like, well, if I'm going to make up points, I got to be faster than everyone and I hadn't jumped this quad yet because the the last practice was really my last opportunity. And it was so soft that mm. I was didn't really feel comfortable with it. Um and I was like, all right, heat race, like I'm going to do it. Like I just have to do it. I was behind Tomac. I was like he's he's already done it. I know he's going to do it. I'll just follow him and just mistimed it a little bit, um, but yeah, like that was always like I remember Brayton always goes pretty big. Um, there was one, I think it was 18, 17 or eighteen. Baggett was doing a lot of big stuff, like randomly. Mm-hmm. I was like, God damn it! Like, what? <laughs> like now I got to do it. So there's there's huge pressure. Well, I mean, it's not from the team, but from from myself. Or like, well, yeah, you just right, have so to do it, right? Yeah, so that I always definitely felt that pressure, and then. My last year in 19, like I said, when I was like, kind of like on the fence about retiring, I remember like going to tracks and be like, well, if those guys jump that I'm not jumping it, like screw that. Like, and like that kind of fire to be the fastest every single night. And like, even if I wasn't always the fastest, like I always wanted to be like that fire wasn't there anymore. So that was one thing that like, out to me is like, okay, like I don't really like have that urge to just throw caution to the wind and jump these huge jumps and and risk my life as much as i used to
1: yeah nah dude it makes sense like you can only do it for so long like i've even had conversations with ricky where ricky was just like i just dreaded going to the race and just like walking the track and just having in the back of my head like what the fuck is stewie gonna do like what, what's he going to do? What, <laughs> you know, cause you're just like, I just don't know that I want to do all the stuff that he's going to do. And it's like you, if you want to win, you have to do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, like I said, it's, it comes from within, but like, yeah, there's, there's so many jumps, like one rhythm lane that sticks out was like, I think it was uh, 18 Phoenix that we were tripling onto the tabletop and then tripling off of it. And I was like, why in the hell did they design this track like this? Like they knew we were going to do this and it is so sketchy and so scary. Like, I don't want to do this. And then, and I think Baggett was the first one to do it. And I saw him do it out of the corner of my head. I was like, God damn it. Now I have to go do it next (laughs) lap. Like, like I do not want to jump that jump, but yeah, that's like, that's the pressure of being a, a super cross racer.
1: And that's why you get paid bulk cash because other people just can't <laughs> do it, you know.
0: Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Man, it's stressful.
1: What's the What's the thought process like? Let's say you see it out of the corner of your eye, and then you've got maybe five straightaways until you hit that section. Are you ta- <laughs> Are you like talking to yourself the whole time, being like? fuck, all right, I'm just going to get through, I'm going to roll that first, and then it's it's on. Like, what what do you sort of, what's the self-talk that's happening before you hit something like that?
0: Um, I don't really know, man. It's like, that particular one, I remember, because it was a three on and then a three off. So I remember like, okay, I, I'm going to go like a little long on the on and like let the front wheel kind of hang in the air for a second and then ready to compress and and just like, that's, Cause I knew I had to go far and then I had to go really far. So I was like, how can I go <laughs> as far as possible? I'd rather overshoot this thing and case it. And just like kind of going over that, like just like that technique in my head of like, all right, this is what it's going to look like, you know, while I'm rolling the rest of the track, like, <laughs> then like, all right, here we go. Let's do this. It's um like I said, you just throw caution to the wind and you just send it. Like literally there's like, it's a lot of technique for me, but it's, sometimes it's just like, I just got to give it literally everything. Like that's, there's no, there's no like toning it back on this one. Like, let's just give it everything I got.
1: And then, so like some of these sections, it is just, you just point in the direction that you want to go. And then it's just full throttle, full <laughs> compression, full seat seatbelt, like everything just as hard as you can go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's far on a 450. That, that'll take <laughs> you a pretty good distance. We had, we had one, we had one, uh, section at a Honda test track when Brayton and I were riding a lot together and we would do our laps and he kept eyeing out this quad and I'm like dude don't
1: Don't do it like
0: (laughs) I know if he does it I'm gonna have to do it and one morning we're warming up and he just like I'm sitting on the finish line like talking to my mechanic and he just like just like it was a triple it was a triple triple then three onto a tabletop and off so he went triple and then it was a big like a like so, like, the smalls are three feet. The bigs are five to six feet. It was a big and then a small, small, and a big. So, it was a quad, like, big to big. Oh. And it was, like, I remember it was, like, you tripled and then you landed, like, wide open and you just sat down and just sat seat bounce. Like, it had to have been, like, 90, 95 feet in the middle of a rhythm section. No. Nice. I remember seeing that. Like, dude, these bikes are so goddamn fast like we need to, like we need to regulate how far we're jumping on these things but it actually after like at a test track is different because you can jump and then you can jump off to the side yeah yeah kind of like like make sure you get the distance yeah so that's a little safer but it actually made the rhythm section easier because like you're in the air for so long you could like take a breath and then land and then finish it off
1: yeah, but, man. yeah. i remember seeing some sections over there at yeah like practice tracks and test tracks and stuff and like it's I know how far it is because I'm walking with a camera. So, like, if I want to go from one <laughs> one berm to another berm, it's like, it's a slog, dude. I'm, like, looking at the other turn. And I'm like, fuck, man, I really can't be bothered moving all my shit all the way down there. And then you make the trek and you're, like, walking. It feels like it takes you 20 minutes <laughs> to walk there. And then you just see, like, Anderson's like, but, but, and the yeah, whole rhythm get, section get is done. Like and you're two like, jumps. and I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? And, like, what you just said <laughs> about, like, how they just land wide open and then it's like everything you've got and then it's like full seat bounds just getting everything out of the bike and it's like the commitment that it takes to pull the trigger on that and it's not just that it's then the next one and the next one and the next one and it just yeah 25 minutes and then you you do it yeah
0: 25 laps straight (laughs) don't fuck up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so what about then from a fan's perspective, like as a guy that now sits at home with the cause light, the mountains are blue. You've got, <laughs> you've got some, you've got some corn chips and salsa. What are you trying to change from that perspective?
0: Uh, well, like I said, I think if, if things were more regulated with the building, I think it could make it more, more, a little tighter racing, maybe not necessarily like first, second and third, like, Cause usually you see who's going fastest and it's you know, the top three guys are pretty untouchable most of the time, but like there'd be, I think there'd be tired of racing throughout the entire, Mm. um, you know, the entire field. And then if somebody got a bad start, a good guy got a bad start, I think it would make it a little more interesting instead of like Tomac getting a bad start and plowing through 15 guys in like four laps. (laughs) So, um. I think that would be a little tighter. I I don't know. It's, it's hard, you know, it's like, it's like uh, that might work, but it might not. So I, I, like now that I have stepped away, I'm always thinking of ways to make things safer and, and uh, trying to relate, like as a racer, like this is what I would have liked to see in a track, you know, like not going as big um, and maybe a little bit more technique based, but then that, that would, you know, benefit a rider like me who used a lot of technique and was mm. a lot more thought out where somebody like Tomac or Barsha, who's like a more of like a muscle, you know, like brute strength kind of guy might not benefit as much. So maybe they, they would disagree with that.
1: And do you think like, do you enjoy the formats that they race or would you like to see, I don't know, different, different sort of formats and stuff?
0: Yeah, that's, that's a hard one. Cause Supercross is more of a sprint style racing anyways. So to try and do like a 30, two 30 minute motos wouldn't work. Um I I do like that they've gone to 20 minute moto or main events even though some of the racing at the end of the motos is a little more boring um cuz everyone's kind of found their spot and nobody's really making any crazy passes. Um I don't love the triple crown racing. It's it's really cool as a fan, like it's fun to watch as a fan. But as a racer, it is so much racing.
1: Yeah, that's what everyone.
0: Last last year, yeah, last year when I was racing, it was like I hated those nights. It was so much like so much intense racing too. You know, like the first main event having everyone on their gate at once just for the eight minutes or whatever it is is so crazy. Like it's so hectic and your heart rate's pinned the whole time. And like you get back to the truck, you eat something so small that it's not going to upset your stomach and it's so hard to hydrate. And then you're right back to the start line. And then same thing for the last one. It's just like, go, go, go all night that I don't love those. I think that's a little dangerous. And I think that could, maybe they do a triple crown. Maybe it's just not as much, uh, not as much racing or something. They tone down the last two, but, um, but like a general, uh, general outline of the the races. I think where we're at, is pretty good. Like the 20 minutes. I think that's a pretty good, uh, for supercross it's it's cool too because with the heat races and the and the lcqs and all that stuff it, it makes it uh uh it still makes for some good like racing all night long i mm. i like that they got rid of the semi they got rid of the semis right yeah yeah those sucked i hated those <laughs> like going into heat race thinking like damn it i gotta get top four or else i'm screwed <laughs> like yeah that is kind of gnarly.
1: it's so hard yeah. to get fourth <laughs> like fourth, <Yeah>. at, fourth <laughs> in a, even a heat in, in a heat race is insane
0: Yeah, that was, that was tough for sure. When we did those few years with that, it was, uh, it made it really hard. Like, and then when you're in like sixth or seventh, you're like, well, I'm just not going to go fast because I need to save energy Yeah, for, yeah. (laughs) for the semi now. Yeah. So I like that they got rid of that
1: um were you always into the technical side of the bikes and stuff because obviously now like with the builds and shit like dude your 350 hands down is the 2020 bike uh your 450 sorry (laughs) is hands down 2020 bike of the year like i don't think that there was a cooler bike (laughs) built at all and i don't know were you kind of interested in the tech side i suppose you would have had to have been from working on drift cars right
0: yeah. I've, I've always just been really into like customization because of drifting, like yeah. drifting you take a car that's, you know, not supposed to do that. And like, you just modify everything like suspension and, and uh driveline. And, and I don't know, literally everything is, is touched on a drift car. Like, and then I, I always liked making it that way, but then making it kind of like street style. So I've always been really into like customization. Um, and then, yeah, like when the team's, got new parts and, and stuff like that or, or I, I was always really close with like suspension techs and stuff like um I don't you know Ricky Gilmore he's the yeah 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 K-Y-B, K-Y-B, yeah. The, yeah, yeah. So, yeah so him and I have like still buddies and still talk a lot so I think I want to hit up like, something somebody. pretty soon
1: actually <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's a good dude I love that guy yeah he's a bit. super fun to talk to uh, so anytime he like had a setting or a part that he wanted to test with me I was always very like excited to, to see what he had and talk mm. to him about it and know why it did what it did or, or just look at it. Like some of the yeah. parts are so trick looking. So I always loved that. And then, uh, like with this new, that build you're talking about, I just, I knew I wanted to do like something different, like completely different. Um, and that's why I did KYB suspension. Cause my relationship with KYB and, um, it's never like, you don't see it a lot on a, a KTM or at least in a Euro bike. Uh, so I wanted to do that. And then I had all these ideas like Beerman did that raw frame originally. And I was close with the guy that did the powder coating on that. So I wanted, I knew I wanted to do that. And, and like all these ideas kept flowing. I was like, dude, I'm just going to build like the sickest thing I can, like everything going to be custom on this bike. And it turned out cool. Even like, I know some of the people didn't love the original graphics I did, but I had like a designer from LA that like has never done a dirt bike before. And just, yeah. super
1: like,
0: you know, crazy LA artist like designed the graphics and and I just wanted it to kind of like be something that nobody's really seen before, but still tasteful. Not like I don't know, I, I don't want to use crazy colors or anything. Like Not that.
1: like pimp my ride with spinners and subs and shit. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs>
1: but yeah, man, that that build and it seemed like it got so many people excited. I don't know if you've seen uh, the build that we've got going on, but sammy and i we were watching when they canceled supercross the first weekend was it Indy this year that was supposed to go to Indy, and it it didn't happen so we'd been doing the supercross companions where we sat and watched all the races in the studio and like that was we got like a bunch of people from all over that watched that live on youtube and then everyone was just like bummed they're like fuck there's no supercross companion this week so we started getting all we started getting all these people DMing us being like just watch old races so we watched uh <laughs> we, it was sick we got uh we got the bar to bar from 2004 and uh oh sick yeah dude it was super fun like we watched james on the 125 and then we watched like obviously the chad and and villaman and k-dub and all the boys going at it and uh like just in passing i said to sammy i was like man we should we should get mid 2000 two strokes and uh and then <laughs> anyway so sam like two weeks later dude we, we started looking on like our version of craigslist while we were on the podcast like trying to find these bikes and it just become this like little little thing we did while we watched the races and then Anyway, Sammy goes out, buys a 06 CR two fifty. Thing is fucking mint, dude. Like he bought it and it was <laughs> it was insane. And uh so then anyway he did that and then I was like, all right, well I'll go get it I wanna get a steel frame Yamaha. So I drove eight hours and bought this piece of shit, like disgusting. <laughs> Why is that two fifty? <laughs> and uh and then anyway, so we we posted that we got it. And then everyone was like, "All right, well, can we do it too? Like, if we get a bike, can we do the build as well?" So we're like, "All right, cool." So we called it the mid two K build, and now we've got seventy five <laughs> dudes building two strokes. So we had seventy five guys no sign way. up, yeah, and we're we're, we're having That's a race. Sick. Yeah, it's turned into like uh, we don't have two stroke nationals over here, so we're gonna do the we're gonna do the two stroke nationals <laughs> at like this dope track, and like Regan Duffy's got a one two five, like Todd Waters is chasing bikes down, like everybody is gonna get like all the pros are gonna get two strokes and do this nationals with us but man like the build thing it just like it just went off like people were just so pumped on it and i think perfect timing with COVID as well like obviously a bunch of people in victoria and stuff they had a crazy lockdown so they couldn't actually go ride so all they could really do was work on their bikes but yeah man we've had like all these guys come out of the woodwork to build these old two strokes and it was cool like your your 450 build was something that like really inspired me to do it because i saw how many people were stoked on what you were doing and i was like man we could we could definitely like do this as well (laughs) and you know people are going to be pumped on this
0: yeah they love it that's like when i go when i was going to some of the supercross races this year to help with the announcing it was like everybody stopped me to talk about it like like when is your next build like what are you doing next like oh, i love the l like what did you do like you know i had questions about it yeah like in the 250 two two-stroke. like everyone loves that bike like so it's it's it's, yeah it's something like i like what i said before originally when we started this it's like people just relate to it you know like and the two strokes too it's super relatable because you can find them relatively cheap and customize them pretty easily like and that I, I always like when I bought mine. I, mine was a pile. Like I found it like three miles from my old house. Like for like twenty four hundred bucks. Like it was a that's deep. so sick. And yeah, and like it, I have a picture of it when I picked it up. It had like freestyle bars on it, and like it was so clapped out. And but that's like what I wanted, you know, because yeah. I knew I was gonna like frame it, go through everything customize everything the two strokes are a little harder because the parts are like you're taking old parts off and then you're like well i don't want to put this shitty old part back on like i want to yeah. put like something new back on it where you build a new bike it's a little easier because it's like a little more like okay take the swing arm off get it powder coated put the swing arm back on <laughs> like like oh, now i gotta find new bearings like all this other shit so but um it's definitely rewarding like the yeah. end result is so rewarding when after you finish like I don't know that like that's why I have my two stroke in my living room because I like I love it because <laughs> I don't want to ride it but I know once I'm better I'm gonna want to take it out but I'm like it's so like perfect and every yeah. time I do ride it I like find a new scratch or like it's not as clean as it was <laughs> I'm like shit so I was like I'm gonna put it in my living room for now
1: dude I, I'm in two minds like I've said the I've said the whole time you gonna know, have to just stick to it like I've said way too much but I'm going so fucking in on my 250. It is insane. <laughs> like I'm gonna actually try and do the raw frame look, like what your bike, uh, your 450 is. Oh, because well,
0: it's steel frame.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because man, it looks so sick. Like the way that you did it. I just, yeah. I I love that look, and it's so. I mean, obviously, like I'm copying your style on it, but not a lot of people have done it. And now I, mean,
0: I, I copied Beerman. Every time yeah, somebody brings enough. up, I'm like, I, I got to pay homage to Beerman. He's the first one that did it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but man, I'm like, I've, I've hand sanded my, my swing arm. I probably have, I reckon I probably have like 14 hours just in my swing arm. Like just hand Dude, sanding.
0: With my two stroke, I, I mean, it was aluminum frame, but I same, like I had spent so much time scotch bright and like. Soap and water, scotch, bright, soap and water, scotch, bright, like just getting every nook and cranny, like trying to get yeah. that thing perfect. Have you done the frame yet? Cause a lot of people are like curious about the frame. The way that they do it is they chemically strip the paint off of it. So don't sandblast it. If uh, you haven't already too late, fuck. <laughs> Did you already do it? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Can you do it if you've already okay. sandblasted it or no?
0: I don't know. Well, so what he does is he chemically strips the paint off of it. And then he has somebody like heat the welds to make them look like like pop them a little bit more, and then uh, clear coat.
1: Yeah, right. Because I sandblasted it, and I was like, I was like, I wonder how you get this thing to look good now because it just it's just like (laughs) it's just like gray dull metal.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know what it looks like when it's when the paint's all off of it, but. That's what he, the, um, it's special. Like anybody listening in California, it's, uh, specialized coatings in Huntington beach. They're the ones that are like the masters at it. So they, yeah, he just chemically strips the paint off of it and then heats up the, uh, he, he very vaguely talks to me about it. Cause I'm sure he doesn't want anybody like yeah. knowing how doing copying him, but yeah, that's, that's, it's chemically strip heat the welds and then clear coat.
1: Yeah, so I thought in my head, like, we've got a guy here that he runs a, um, like, a shop. He's got, like, a soda blaster and a bunch of sandblasters, and he does all, like, coatings and stuff. Um, my dad's actually a factory mechanic as well. Like, he was uh, Jackson Richardson's mechanic. So my dad does, like, all coating and stuff. He's got, like, a sick workshop at his place. So between, like, those two, I've been kind of bouncing off. But I, I thought that you'd get the paint off and then you'd have to sort of like polish it so that it would come up like that um, that raw look. You'd have to sort of polish it back to raw and then, yeah, heat the welds and do like the clear Cerakote. But man, the Yamahas, they come with this uh, like gray anodizing on the swing arm. Oh, shit. oh bro, it is torture, <laughs> dude. Like I'll send you a photo um, when I get home but like the inside so i got like this uh air die grinder with like a scotch bright pad on it and just like
0: yeah.
1: just hours dude and you don't want to take away obviously too much of the the alloy itself but um you got to get this right. like anodizing off and then so like i did that so like but there's some p- places you just can't get so then you've just got to hand sand this this anodizing off and, uh, and then once it's done, like, so I've taken all the little nicks and everything out of the swing arm. Like, it's just literally looks like a factory black swing arm now, but you sand it and then you've got to like hand sand just like one way. So you get the grain and then you got to try not to like get the little squirrely circles from like where you first put the sandpaper down. Like, dude, it has been brutal.
0: Yeah, I know. It's, I, I was the... I did something similar to that with my radiators on my, I think it was on my L. I did the same thing with like the hand Scotch bright thing or the yeah. uh, air Scotch yeah. bright thing. So I know. It's, yeah. And then if you're a perfectionist like that, it's just like, you don't want any little spot. Like it's so annoying. <laughs>
1: I'm, I've even, uh, I'm trying to do. So like my inspiration for the bike is the, that, the bike that Chad rode, I think in 02, the 103, and it was like the Boost Mobile Yamaha Troy, but he rode the open bike. I think it was maybe at like US Open. Um, so, like, I'm doing that because it was like, this is Chad's last year, like, he retired. And so I was like, man, yeah. I'll, I'll do like a cool Chad Reed sort of replica bike. And I'm like, I'm even removed all the casting marks off the brake calipers like there's no oh, shit. dude there's no <laughs> there's no cast marks on the swing arm anymore like even the the top bit you know like where the casting and shit is like dude, yeah. it has been a fucking nightmare
0: <laughs> yeah and then watch you're gonna write it and then it'll get little scratches here and there and you're like ah, i'm putting this thing in your living room <laughs> like Whoa. you're not gonna want to
1: dude well i've said like the whole time i'm like nah i'm just gonna ride it i'm you know i'm just gonna thrash the thing like i really want to ride it but now like every time like that swing arm just still ain't done (laughs) it's just like man (laughs) what all it takes is like one dude to fucking come and like hit me in a turn or something and like hours and hours of work but i'm like man maybe do i just like do i just thrash this thing and and ride it, and obviously, like you know, look after it and clean it. But it's like maybe just do it again one day. But I don't know, man. It's a lot of work.
0: Get a get a um, practice and a race swing arm for it. <laughs> yeah, just try and throw it another <laughs> swing arm.
1: Dude, it's so crazy too because it's like I never thought I would give a fuck about a swing arm, <laughs> but this thing's <laughs> like I'm gonna have like Kashima coated forks and stuff, and it's just like don't even matter man like hey don't look at my forks don't look at another <laughs> picture pay attention to that swing arm bro that's where it's really at
0: oh uh, it's sick yeah it's uh, i'm the same way though like i get so like there's certain things that i'm just like i'd never thought i would care about this stuff like actually when we were because one of my best friends builds bikes actually for like like customers and stuff like so i'll go with Went for my bike. I'll help him pick stuff out too. And we were at a uh, uh, like KTM dealership, and he was picking out like like little shit that he does to the bikes. And he was picking out kickstands. I was like, dude, I never thought that you would know anything about kickstands. Like your 15 year old self would kick your own ass if you knew you were picking out fucking kickstands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's like, just le- you just learn to care about the most tiny, like random stuff.
1: Oh dude, yeah, it's so yeah, you're so right. But it's been cool man like for for me and my dad like we, it's been a really cool thing for me and my dad to do together, you know? Like we've actually got a um we've got it's like our screaming eagle, so we bought a 98 CR250. And then one of my last bikes was a 2012 um CRF450 like before I sort of moved to America. And then anyway, my brother ended up getting that thing. We've got this desert race out in the middle of Australia called Fink. And then Maddie took it out there and he rode <laughs> like 13 kilometers down this desert road and just fucking exploded the entire engine. <laughs> so that bike just ended up being a dud, like until two years ago. Like it just sat in the shed. It it just had dust and shit all over it and uh and i was i was like dad we need to do a, a 250 conversion so we bought an, a 98 motor and uh oh shit yeah well we bought a 98 bike and then we just took the motor out we still got the frame and stuff at home and uh and then we like chopped the frame out and we put in this 98 um motor into the 2012 chassis, which was actually a really good chassis as well um and and yeah, like this thing was sick. I ended up riding it for like a year and because uh, we didn't know. We just bought it off like Craigslist for I think like 2000 bucks. And uh, it was one of those deals where the guy's like, oh, yeah, it's had this. It's got this. Mate, it fucking this thing sings, you know, like the typical. But we're like, man, who knows? This thing could probably blow up tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, and anyway, it lasted for like a year without blowing up. And then I finally grenaded the thing and uh so now we're we're just waiting on a crank it's on back order from honda and then dad's like cerakoted it all and same deal like alloy washed all the frame and so that that thing should be pretty sick but you know just the the process of um you know working on something like that with my dad as well has been like a really cool deal
0: yeah for sure yeah it's yeah i mean there's so many hours that go into that shit you're just like what like half the time i'm like what did i get myself into like like the the filming of it is like you see the the cool stuff but like half the time i'm just sitting there like what what do i do like what what is next like don't (laughs) don't put that stuff on camera like like what's the luckily i still like talk to a lot of my mechanics i'm like hey what um what am i supposed to do like what how how does this go back together again like half the time but yeah it's it's like a huge puzzle piece it's fun though i love that stuff
1: yeah how much did you know before you started doing these builds
0: i was actually pretty savvy with everything like um because when i like i said like i came from kind of a privateer you know like 2009 i was a privateer um and like i remember even back then like my practice bike like i blew an engine in that practice bike and like the team was super low budget so like i literally like told them so like, all right, well we have an engine you can have on the truck. Well, I had to take the engine out of my practice bike, fly with it to, I think it was Seattle, drop it off to them, get a new engine, fly home with that engine, put it in my, so I, I knew how to do most of it. Um, Like back then it was carbureted though. So it was a little easier. Like mm. right now with fuel injection and all the wiring harnesses and stuff, like I I really didn't know what I was doing. I just would like, take lots of pictures when I was taking it apart and then <laughs> like if there was something over the top confusing I would actually video it like talking yeah. to myself like all right this wire goes like over this and then like just so like in the future you know like months down the road I could be like what how did this go back together again but um i mean just like i like i think drifting it's been like one thing where i've been like kept me um just like savvy with that kind of stuff just like knowing like oh okay like this is how this works or I, this is how I take it apart. This is how I put it back together. And honestly, turbo motors are a lot more confusing than, than any of the stuff that I'm going to cross paths with. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. And like, I was always super into like building BMX bikes when I was younger, like this on a small scale, but like, I love that, that stuff. Like I would always build my BMX bikes from the ground up and, um, just love learning all that kind of stuff when I was younger.
1: So can you drop any exclusives on what you're building next?
0: um well I, one of the builds i'm gonna do hopefully i was gonna wait until like like the end of, or middle of next year to do it but I'm, i want to get it start getting done i have a 73 elsinore that i've kind of kept stashed oh, away in my garage sick so i'm gonna redo that because i was gonna race it at the end of this month there's race you know day in the dirt i am not sure if you're familiar with that one um yeah i'm gonna i was gonna race that at day in the dirt in the vintage class but now i I have to have this on my hand for another month. So I'm not going to be able to do that. So I'm going to start taking that thing apart. Um, I'm not going to do like full custom with that. I want to do more of like a refurbished, up, like yeah, try and find, yeah, like try and find some decent looking uh, tank and plastics and all that stuff and try and just make it look somewhat original. But I'm sure there'll be some little customization stuff here and there. And then um, with Troy Lee going to gas gas, I'm hoping to maybe, you know, start a yeah. relationship over there and, and do some builds with them that'd be yeah. really cool if not if something else kind of falls in my lap i'll hit the ground running with that but like i have some cool ideas for for some of those bikes so hopefully that'll all kind of surface here in the next coming months
1: yeah dude i um i was hoping that uh gas gas we're going to do the 350 Cause I was like, I'll get a Gas Gas 350, and I wanted to do like a cool build on one of those, but they're only doing the 250 and the 450. So I was like, oh, I don't know. Cause man, I feel like that <laughs> that paint scheme. Like I wanted to call it the Cherry Bomb and like make the give the bike a name <laughs> and like have yeah. you know um this is the Cherry Bomb build. But yeah, I was like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just gonna need a pony up and get a 450. But just like you said, these <laughs> are too fast, bro.
0: Dude, they are, but the actually the KTM that I have right now, which is obviously the same as the gas gas, they're like they're pretty like moderately powered, the four fifty. Like mm. I was pretty stoked when I got mine because I don't like a lot of power. Um, even like when I was racing for Honda, I'd always be turning my power down and chilling the bike out a little bit. The the four fifty is a lot more like rider friendly in that sense where it's not trying to rip your arms off or anything like that. And then it comes with the two maps so you can switch it to be a little bit more Mm. um i don't know more mellow actually I, my 450 because we went to that um the kansas thing with Beerman, i knew that they're going to be big jumps there so i actually had the engine built like right oh, really? I went, just to get a little bit more yeah just in case there was something where i was like ah, i'm going to need a little bit more when i got there found out i didn't because you can go really far on 450 <laughs> in third gear or fourth gear <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah when i was like uh you know what like there might be something out of a corner that i'm gonna want to get or or whatever i built the engine just a tiny bit like a little port and polish but yeah did it make a big difference yeah like pretty big like i was luckily i still have the maps where i can mellow it out because i ended up running the more mellow setting but yeah like those jumps we were hitting were like holy crap you can go so far on a bike like just cruising it's crazy
1: yeah, man, let's let's talk a little bit about that experience. Like a uh, Berriman's a super good buddy of mine and I am lucky enough to have seen what that dude can do on a dirt bike. Like, and I'm I don't just mean yeah. on big jumps or, you know, stuff that's built like that. Like, we got a local sand track and he found a hundred and twenty foot jump at our local <laughs> like he's a fucking psycho man and it hit the yeah the shit he can do by just like looking at a a jump i don't know man there's some weird shit that he has in his head that he can just calculate stuff that i i yeah i don't understand it
0: yeah we went there and he he showed me before we went like generally what was gonna happen like what he was thinking and what they were going to build and and gave me kind of just an overview on it and i was like dude i'm in like it'd be it'd be so fun to be a part of this like count me in like let's do it and then um he was sending me videos like throughout that whole month when they were building the the facility and i was like holy shit like what did i get myself into like i didn't realize everything was going to be that big (laughs) and jason baker built it so everything looks like Perfect, but it looks yeah. like everything stands out. You know, everything just looks massive. um And he was out there all month, like guinea pigging everything. So when I showed up, he'd already jumped seventy five percent of the stuff. Like, so I just got to kind of follow him off of it. But yeah, I don't, I don't know how he, he times half the stuff he does. Like some of the jumps, I would have gone so long. <laughs> <laughs> really, like, he just made them perfect. Everybody. Yeah, so many of them. Like there, there's some, there's a couple jumps that like didn't really even stand out that much on some of the video footage we watched but or that everyone has seen but it was like there's a tree jump there where it was like kind of like this big berm and you'd fall into a little double and then it was a jump over trees and it was 100 feet and you could not see the landing until you were over the trees like you were completely blind for the first two seconds you're in the air it was like the first time i jumped i was like do i got it do i got it Uh, i got it like you start falling into the landing like holy crap how did you do this like, uh, like every time he does it too, he makes it like perfect. It's crazy,
1: dude. The one that the one that I saw that I was just like, bruh, what? I woke up one morning and I just did like the Instagram thing on the shitter. First thing I see <laughs> is is him jumping over that container, and like, you oh can't, yeah, you can't test that jump, bro. That's not <laughs> a thing that like I you think... just have to hit that.
0: Yeah, I think he he jumped it without the container on it or something. I don't know. Uh, I wasn't there when they brought it in. So I don't know. Maybe he did do it without it, but like, cause we were all sessioning it. Like that was one of the things like we warmed up on that. Like that puts it in perspective. We warmed up on that. Cause that was like the more, more mellow obstacle there. Wow. Well, and like, we're just all like having fun thing? on it for like, I, he was the only one that did it. Fuck. And yeah. So we're all like jumping on, jumping off. Like I wall rode it a couple times and then out of nowhere, He just comes out of the turn grabs third and just like sends it i'm like holy shit dude how did you know like and then after he did it i went and like looked at it like jumped up on the container thinking about jumping over i was like there's no way like there's no way i'm jumping (laughs) like like if you cased it you're gonna case a container like there's no saving that and it was that was crazy
1: and you know what's so hectic bro you're one of the best dudes in the world at that shit too
0: (laughs) I know that's like, that's what I was thinking when we were out there, like, cause we had like seven of the best dudes, like at that stuff, you know, like whether it's timing or style or tricks or whatever, like we're like collectively, like probably the best group you're going to get out there. And I was like, dude, what if you invited just like five, like no namers out here, long they would last like it'd be kind of be sketchy to watch
1: dude no like just, <laughs> it's just not the move red bull has a lot of cash but they probably don't have that much endurance
0: no for sure not he yeah does it, it does scary.
1: it does put it into perspective but like but i guess that if i ask you just straight up like how good is Berriman?
0: yeah he's i mean at that stuff he's unreal like he's the best at like just timing things and just like knowing how fa- like when we rolled up there's a there's a 150 foot jump that like it like went long like you could go about 170 175 safely and i was like can you even make that like you had the huge this long run and i was like i don't even know if you can make that like hitting it like fourth wide open and dude like he hit it the first time and like cleared it perfect but it was like fourth gear just like cruising like i would have gone to the flat and like killed myself
1: yeah, it's he's like
0: so good.
1: The awareness that he has and and that's what I don't understand it. Like I really don't understand how you can look at something like that and then know how to grease it. And he's just like he's like perfect, yeah. man. Like I you don't that's what's crazy is when I don't know if you saw that video when he was doing our like he came over, did the podcast and then we did like a road trip and then we went to Farm Jam together and uh yeah i saw the farm game stuff yeah like he f- i i saw him like knock himself out like just a massive one man and like he just doesn't do that shit like he's so clean and crisp with everything that that he does like there's some crazy talent that he has where he can look at something and know exactly what to do with a motorcycle on a 450 like it just doesn't i, I don't get how he does that the calculations
0: yeah he's it's funny talking to him too because he's so like so just like relaxed and like (laughs) just like if he has like a little hiccup he's just like he just rides by like laughing and you're just like dude what is wrong with you (laughs) like there's just something missing like just so damn talented
1: man at, at farm jam they had the they built like the quarter and the landing ramp just sort of wasn't steep enough um, but then they had like this hip jump that they built off to the side and then the boys were like sessioning that. And then it's like, damn, that's pretty cool. And then you just see Berriman comes and he rolls in. And the other thing that's crazy when you watch Berryman ride is like, everything's done on the lip with him. Like there's no, yeah. you know what I mean? Like he's not like, but everything is like, roll, roll, like he gets everything just on the lip. So, like, you can be sitting there and you're, like, about ready to film it. And he's, like, doing the roll in. And then all of a sudden, it's just, like, all 60-plus horsepower on the up ramp And then there was that, <laughs> that whip jump. And then he's just sent it so high, like, 40 feet further than everybody and probably 30 feet higher. And it's just, like, just titty every time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that he was, like, so we did that, that uh, FMX Fight Club thing yeah months ago yeah and he like i was on the fence about it when they asked me um i I was actually like i was actually at a bar with a couple of my buddies and twitch (laughs) texted me and he's like hey you want to do fmx fight club it's like f or moto fight club but for free ride and i was like dude i haven't like i haven't hit a ramp in like 10 years and i've never done quarter pipe and i've never done step up I was like why did you text me (laughs) <laughs> he's like, dude, you can do it. You got it. No problem. Like, just just say yes, and like, we'll get you. We'll make sure you're prepared. I'm like, like, dude, I don't even have a bike. Like, <laughs> my bike, w- the one I just built, was still like, half of it was in Orange County, half of it was in like Riverside, like spread out through all of Southern California. And I'm like, I don't have a bike. Like, I have two and a half weeks. And he's like, dude, just say yes. Like, you got this. And I was like, all right, like, fine. What? Like, let's do this. And Bierman was one of the like. Was like, dude, you got it. Like, come out, you know, practice with me. You can do this. Like, no problem. Like, whatever. Was like, all right, fine. So I I spent a lot of time with Tyler. Like, and we like we got closer than we ever have through that. But like, just like, yeah, like you're saying, how he just everything is on the lip because I like I said, I hadn't hit a ramp in like ten years. So my first time hitting a 75 again, I was coming at it like second year, like on it and almost like soaking it up. Checking, yeah, just naturally a racer like i just that's how i jump and then watching tyler go up to it every time like literally putting and then just like clutch in just seat bouncing the ramp i'm like how in the hell how is he making it and how the hell is he getting upside down on this thing like it's so scary so i like had to completely rethink how i jump because of that guy because he just like his style is so different than what like naturally i would do um, but i learned so much from him especially like In the past, like, six months, I've learned so much from Tyler.
1: Yeah, man, it's crazy that, you know, you talk about saying yes to opportunities. Well, that flight club, I feel like, is kind of just like, you're a free ride dude now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's what, at the time, like, Supercross was on hold. Uh, There was nothing going on in our industry. And I was like, you know what, like, this is something to do. It's something to, like... To open eyes to sponsors and fans, and and just like be like, oh, this guy will do anything. Like I, it was one of those opportunities where I was, I was on the fence in first, but like after the first day, I was like, kind of just hurled myself at this thing. <laughs> there was definitely like I remember um, we did we warmed up on the seventy five like with whips and just like I, I mean I can whip all right, not compared to McNeil or or Bierman or some of those guys, but like I knew like that was gonna, probably going to be my most competitive one. And then like we went over to step up and Tyler's like, all it is you just first gear, just roll into it. And then, you know, give it everything at the bottom. And I'm like, all right, like you go. (laughs) And watching him for the first time, I remember I had this moment where I was like, can I back out? Like I already told these guys, yes. I already already posted on social media that I'm going to do this, but like, can I back out? Like this is like, this might be too much for me. And I hadn't even gone over and looked at the quarter pipe yet. So uh, it was actually step up was one of the easier ones for me. Just like I hit it, like a hit a super cross wall. I stand up. So it was kind of easy for me to do with that technique. I didn't go as high as those guys, but it's safer for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, I had that moment of like, fuck, can I back out of this? <laughs> I do not want to do this now. <laughs> they we went over the quarter, five, and five everything changed. I was like, oh God, that, now I really don't want to <laughs> like, that shit's scary
1: yeah uh, the crazy thing with quarter pipe is for Berriman to say it's not fun like i don't really hit that thing for fun barman will hit anything yeah. and if he says that that thing ain't fun then it's probably not fun
0: yeah it, and for how high those guys go i knew i wasn't going to go as high you could give me a year on that thing and i'm not going to go as high as those guys i've been doing it for five years um giving me two weeks and i knew i wasn't going to go anywhere high as those guys so But just to do it, like, man, that was one of the hardest mental things to overcome for me because like, you can't just take off the side, you know, you Mm -mm. can't like inch your way up to it because you won't rotate. Like in order to get the rotation and fold 180, you have to take off the top. And when you're standing at the bottom, looking 18 feet up, like thinking like, I got to like ride up this on a motorcycle is absolutely terrifying. So I don't know. I, I think I got up to like 15 feet. Those guys, I think raha one at like 38 <laughs> but just to say that i went that high i was like pretty stoked
1: yeah dude that that thing's no joke man and then you want to add an alley oop into that like what Corey creed and and actually oh, yeah. done it's just like dude where are we going with this boys what's the end game here
0: yeah <laughs> yeah it's freaking gnarly those guys are crazy
1: but yeah it's cool that that then led to the Red Bull imagination thing. And I feel like you are one of the standout dudes, uh, at imagination. And I feel like, yeah, it's just kind of, I don't know. You just, you're really crafting like this new, this Cole Sealy 2.0 that is, uh, kind of going to be everywhere in, you know, the moto world, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying. I mean, it's, I honestly, it's just like all the things that have kind of fallen in my lap have just been like, they've been really fun. First of all, like that's what I wanted my afterlife and motocross to be was, was just, let's go have fun. Let's enjoy riding again. Um, whether it's a trip or an event or anything like that, it's, it's, I've been super lucky. And then, and just past relationships with like, like I've never been this close with Tyler or Twitch or any of these guys that are just like, I knew them. I'm, you know, I knew them because I've seen them at the gym sometimes or, or whatever we cross paths, but like for those guys to kind of like welcome me with open arms and like anything they're doing for them to call me and like, Hey, we're doing this next week. Like, can you come with us? Like, I've been so lucky to like, just have friends like that and have like, um, relationships with, with such like cool individuals and characters in the sport. And, um, it's been, it's been such a fun, like version of myself that I've been discovering over the past year.
1: Yeah. But I mean, honestly, dude, it's a credit to you. Like I've, I've been around america since 2010 i've literally never ever heard a person say a bad word about you and i mean that's a credit <laughs> that's a credit to you like that's not easy to do in this industry
0: no yeah well thank you first of all but yeah it's i mean i just like i i'm fortunate and thankful for what i've built for myself i guess like i've like i explained earlier you know and this was like i came from a different situation than most racers. So like every relationship I've made with, whether it's a trainer or, uh, just seeing somebody at the track, like I've, I never felt like, I feel like some guys can like, oh, you know, I'm better than this. Like, like even like an autograph signings and stuff, it's like, I've been there, you know, I've been, I've been that nobody, or I've been that person that's been a fan or, or been on the other side. And, um, just like, I always think like, well, how would I want to be treated? Or how would I want to be, um, you know, how would I want this impression to to last on this kid or this this family or somebody like that so like i always just try and um be like respectful towards everyone and Mm. yeah yeah i mean i guess that's i mean i guess i'm hopefully gonna only get good things said about me because of that but like that's just who i am you know that's like the person that my parents i guess raised me to be was just somebody that's respectful and and i guess grateful
1: can you could you see guys that didn't have that attitude in racing
0: Um, in racing, yeah, like just uh, like this, uh, and I've been there before too, where like I catch myself kind of being a prima donna, you know. You're just like, like, I don't know. You're you're so strung, you're spread so thin throughout Mm. the year, where you know there's so many autograph signings and there's so many meet and greets and and um so many practice days and all this stuff, and you kind of you can get caught up in like 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 I'm a racer. Like, that's what I'm, that's what I'm, why am I doing all this stuff? Like, I'm, paid to uh, a yeah, race yeah. my dirt bike. you know, yeah. like, why do, why do I have to do all this extra shit? But then like, I just like, I, I always kept myself in check for sure. Um, and some other guys, maybe not, but some other guys are maybe more important than I am. Um, but like, I don't know. I just never wanted, cause I, like I said, like before, like, you know, we're only in this for 10, 15 years and we're only going to meet so many people like why, why I develop a bad relationship with anybody i'd rather just like be able to you know have a beer and, and sit down and bullshit with somebody after everything's said and done
1: yeah 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 i mean dude i yeah i think you've had the the right attitude like throughout your career and to to get away from racing at the level that you did without like everyone's got a fucking story about someone you know like I, and i i still <laughs> you know like i hear it a lot because you know like you'll have a lot of people sort of obviously it's my fucking job to talk to people but you know like <laughs> you'll hear people that will say like oh yeah man i had a problem with this guy and i was like dude like i can tell you he's actually a super nice dude and you yeah. know you, you always hear that shit but with you never never anything
0: <laughs> yeah i don't know i yeah i just like i said i just try and be respectful because like and like when what you're talking about with like filming and stuff too like i i love like I've always kind of had a hobby with like photography and, and video mm. stuff so like I when media shows up or when sponsors show up with with photographers and stuff I just like try to relate you know like I I love that shit as much as they do so it's like I yeah. I just try and try and because and then it pays off too like I mean not that you, like I was being nice for it to pay off but like then I end up working with like like at Red Bull Imagination like I'd worked with all those video and photo guys in the past and like i worked with garth milan forever and him and i have been like super cool for a while and and so to spend the whole week with him and then like all the video dudes and um it was just like all that you know it goes around comes around so yeah keep it all cool
1: dude shout out to that crew because yeah that that was my crew (laughs) like Garth, (laughs) man garth is i think one of the Garth's probably one of the best people I've ever met throughout any of my travels, all throughout the world, throughout anything like that, dude. He's so legit. And Wes, man, even like Adam LaRoche, like the guy that owns the Kansas track, like meeting him was just like so incredible, dude. Like there's so many cool people that that are in that that world.
0: Yeah, for sure. And yeah, and that's like, I mean, then when those guys names come up you know I'm excited to see them again and I hope they're the same way with me you know like I was actually supposed to be on a shoot with Garth all this week too like that's just I don't know it's like this is such a small industry from the riders to the media to the crew to everybody it's like everyone just needs to kind of if you're on a high horse get off of it <laughs> like, Yeah. just let's be friends but yeah it's yeah, I'm I'm super bummed. I should be with Garth right now, actually. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um did you like you would have known that you were sort of different in the industry. Like I don't think you ever I think there's people that try to be different for the sake of being different. And then I think yeah. there's guys that are different that try and fit in. I feel like you were always like you seem fairly comfortable, like you knew you were different. You weren't trying to be different to make a point, but you also weren't trying to fit in. Like, did you have any other. Like, I look at in surfing, like guys like John, John Florence. It's like he sails yachts. He does, like, has a Leica collection. He loves filming. He's got these other sort of things, and it really adds to, like, his character. And there's guys like that all through, you know, like Travis Rice and snowboarding. Like, did you have guys that you kind of looked up to that, may almost gave you a license to like be yourself in the way that you were through your career?
0: Um, no, yes and no. Like I, I like growing up in the area that I grew up in. Like I never, I never really like looked up to any racers in our sport, you know, like Mm. I looked at them up to them for their results. Like, yeah, like somebody like Carmichael or Reed or something like that. It's like amazing what they do, but I was never like, never like paid attention to their personal life. I like, I grew up out here where it's like skating's huge and like BMX mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So like, I always looked up to guys like that, um, that I think are a little bit more like colorful than yeah. racers are. So like, we have like, um, a skater out here named Mikey Taylor. He's like a, like a, he's done. Oh like, yeah. 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 All that stuff. yeah. Yeah. So he, he was always somebody I got, he was always so nice and like, so, you know, humble. And like, every time I'd see him out here, he was just like, dude, that guy is so cool. So I'd look up to guys like that and in other sports for sure. Um, I didn't really follow surfing or anything like that, but yeah, just like just different guys like that where I was like, and he, he always had cars and I was like, that's so cool. And then I was always into cars and just, I don't know. I just tried to be like myself, I guess, like just Mm -hmm. genuinely. That's a good, people liked it or hated it. And luckily most people like to like just be myself and, and have, like I said, like I, I can only do, can only build cars and drift cars and, and ride bicycles and skate and do all these like other random hobbies for so many years. Like, and if that's going to be in my prime, of my racing, then so be it. Cause that's what I want to do.
1: Where, so where did the, the drift car love come from?
0: A bunch of my friends from high school, we we're all into it. Like just really like import tuner type stuff. And like drifting was huge in Japan and then it came to America. And like, I remember my first, I actually was not even making salary at racing for Troy Lee. And I got a podium in San Diego and I like spent that entire bonus on my first car. To go <laughs> what, <drifting. laughs> what, was,
1: what, what was the, what was the bonus worth back then for a podium?
0: Back then, I think it was like collectively from like Honda and, TLD. I, again, like I wasn't even, I had like the bare minimum con contract. So I think yeah. I made like 10 grand that night getting like second or third. <laughs> like and nothing then just then drop, what?
1: what was the car that you dropped? Yeah. You got Uh, 240 SX. Oh dude. Yeah. 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 Fuck. That's so sick. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so like you just sort of pretty much went in on it from then.
0: Yeah. Oh, I'm going to turn on the light real quick skin. Oh the yeah. Dark in California. Yeah.
1: there it is where are you living right now actually
0: um i'm in thousand oaks my hometown
1: yeah so you went yeah went back there yeah it's pretty sick up there huh
0: yeah so sorry my dog molly Molly. um yeah i I, uh i lived in newport like costa mesa uh, orange county area for um For I lived in Orange County for six years, but in Newport for four while I was racing. And the whole time I was down there, it was like nice just to be, I I trained a lot out there, like mountain biking and stuff. So um, it was nice to just kind of get a break from the world of moto while I was not practicing and stuff. And then I always kind of saw it like if I buy a house out here, yeah, it's expensive, but I'm going to sell it when I retire. So I'll make money on it and eventually move back to uh, my hometown because all my family and friends that I, I went to high school with are still out here. Like, anytime I got a break, I would come up here, anyways.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's cool that you still got that, like, got that connection. Cause I, well, I mean, fuck, you're just lucky that you actually went to school, I guess. Like, that's probably why you still, <laughs> still have school friends.
0: Yeah, for sure. I know. I still, like, I, I don't know anybody out here, at, at least, that, like, still talks to all their high school friends. I still, like, still, like, in group messages and, and dms and stuff with all my high school buddies like planning riding trips and all that like every, it was cool actually that's the only thing that good that came out of covid was like everyone was at home yeah and like like wanting to ride again and then everyone was pulling the trigger on buying bikes and stuff like nobody had bikes last year now it's like overwhelming how many friends i have that got bikes so, so i guess there's some silver lining to this whole covid thing
1: yeah man for me like i was actually just talking to my mom last night about it um Cause like her work's just like super stressful with the whole COVID thing. Um, Cause she's like corporate sort of deal. And, uh, right. and I just, I was just like, man, I have had maybe the most productive year of my life because I just haven't been able to travel and Like, I think that when you spend your whole life traveling, essentially like your whole adult life, which I did and like literally just living in different countries constantly. Like I never had a home base. And then when I left the U S and then moved back and sort of decided, I was like, I want to build a studio for the podcast. Like, so that means I'm not moving essentially, but man, right. like so much. And then, so I built the studio, but I'd still like fuck off to New Zealand every couple of weeks. And like, I just couldn't stop <laughs> traveling. It just was such a part of what I'd done, you know, but now to actually stop traveling, get some solid routine, have like a legit, program in place at home like it's actually i think i've that's probably been like the missing thing that i've really uh i guess found through this time you know and i think for a lot of people like not traveling and not being able to go all these places and do all this shit it's really like narrowed in their focus and showed people what you can actually do by just like staying at home and like living a pretty simple life
0: (laughs) yeah for sure i I mean it's kind of been the same for me too but like like I said, with, with anything that pops up, I'm like Kansas trip or that fight club thing, anything that pops up like that to keep my name relevant or, or, you know, get my sponsor's names out there, then I jump on it. But yeah, f- f- the first like month or two is lots of staying at home, playing video games, like doing nothing. I was going a little stir crazy. Cause I'm the same way. i like, if I got nothing to do, I'm like, all right, we're doing a trip here. Let's go. Like just trying to travel as much as possible
1: yeah man it's been uh yeah it's been a a weird a weird one in that sense but it's it's funny like i've been wondering what i'll actually be like when it stops and it, like let's <laughs> it, you know what i mean when you can go back to it i wonder if it's you're just saying it's good now but then as soon as i get the chance to travel i'll be like fucking poos, i'm out
0: <laughs> yeah honestly that's i mean once everything starts opening up again it's probably gonna be i'm gonna be right there too like i don't know i i it's it's starting to open up back here but now like i don't know it's kind of closing down at the same time so i don't know i I just want all my friends to be able to do stuff you know it's like i I could do stuff all day long because i got no no schedule no nothing but like i gotta wait for friends to to get back into the routine of things too uh
1: what like bucket do you have any bucket list stuff that you sort of want to do now that you're ironing off in terms of like content trips that you want to take or like I guess like how do you even see like what what your brand's gonna look like going forward? Do you sort of have a bit of a plan, or are you sort of winging it now? Or,
0: um, I'm kind of kind of winging it, kind of like just whatever falls in my lap. I'm just like running with, I guess, for now. Um, as far as like content trips go, I do want to go. I, I want to go over and like like what when Beerman went over and did that farm jam thing. I'd like to do stuff like that. Just like go. Cause I've gone to other countries to race, but when I go for racing, it's very like fly in, you know, like say like do the media stuff one day, practice the next race for the next two days, fly home. And it's always like that way because I set it up that way. Cause I'm, it's usually in November or December and I need to get yeah. home to train and test for supercross. So I'd like to do more content based trips like that, where I can go have fun and like actually experience different countries um both for i'd love to do it for free riding stuff and then i'd also like to do some some trips with drifting like i've always wanted i've been to japan to race before but I've, i I want to oh, go really for like yeah i've been there to race but i've never been for um drifting like i want to go spend like a whole week there and, and just go drive
1: how how like healthy is the drifting scene like is it a pretty ma- it, like i mean i know literally nothing about it
0: <laughs> yeah it's i mean in japan it's huge um that's where it originated, but like out here it's growing pretty like the, the competitive side is huge over here right now. Like lots of, um, amateur style, like competitions to turn pro and like the pro scenes pretty like, like under budgeted and like not as big as it, it's going to be. It's, it's growing a lot. Um, but I'm more, I like the more like the street style scene and like the, you know, like the core, like, mm. like all my cars, I try not to make them look like they're race cars. I try to keep them like pretty, uh, stylish looking. So that seems definitely a lot smaller, but, um, I don't know, it's just the, the style that I enjoy the most. And like, I've always kind of had like a philosophy with it where like racing kind of took the fun out of riding for me. So I've never competed in drifting and I don't want to, because I don't want that fun aspect to ever leave for me in that mm. sense. So um, I don't really plan on, I, I might, if it was like out of somebody else's pocket and somebody else's car, I would consider competing, but not, not in my own stuff. I just like my, like, those are like my, you know, my pride and joy, like the, my cars that I've built. So I don't, I don't ever plan on competing in that side of things.
1: How, how many drift cars have you got now?
0: Um, three, but I'm, I'm just sold one. So one of them's like, uh, more like street, like I can still drive it on the street. Like it's still street legal. Yeah, but all of them are imported. <laughs> like my, they're like my two that I have now are, are uh, like right-hand drive and like.
1: Oh really? I don't
0: know. Yeah, like so funny. Last year, when I was racing and and I was living in Florida, um, I didn't have a vehicle in Florida yet um for that year. So my business manager, I was just renting, you know, like just a rental car, and for like two weeks, my business manager's like, "Dude, you got to get a car." Like you can't keep renting a car. I was like, okay, I'll get a car. And he's like, just get something used. I was like, I'll get something used. And so I flew, like we live in like the middle of Florida. I flew to like the tip in Miami and I bought a skyline, like a, <laughs> a car that was imported. Was used, what, like a
1: R RS32 but, or something.
0: Uh, our, yeah. R32. Yeah. So bought that and drove it home like four hours back. And that's just been like, that was like my daily for when I was living in Florida for like a few months. And then, when I retired, I just shipped it back here, and now it's like just a fun car <laughs> out here.
1: That's so sick. <laughs> what year was it? Yeah,
0: it's a ninety-three, I think. Ninety-three
1: or ninety-two. Yeah, right. Have you? Um... I just needed
0: something with AC. <laughs> <That's>
1: yeah, <it. laughs> true, huh? Have you? Um, yeah. Have you ever drove one of the new ones,
0: the Skylines? No, yeah. I haven't. Oh, that's dude. the only one I've driven. Dude,
1: you got to get, um, so when we were doing the JDR, like when I was working with JDR, so the team was sponsored by, um, Star, and so Jay, the owner of JDR is, he's still to this day, my my best mate. And, uh, so he got, what did he get first? He got like a, he got like a chart, a challenger, which, what's the two door one?
0: The the, uh, Nissan?
1: No, the dodge the challenger or the charger which is oh two- the,
0: yeah yeah the the charger or challenger I forget. yeah okay. i think it's charger I don't know.
1: He, he got the two-door one of those and because he was like oh, i want to do like the american thing like coming from australia so we had that and then he got a subaru he got a, an sti and then he like full d- did like the cosworth engine like did the whole thing and oh, uh shit. yeah like it was it was pretty sick and then uh he always wanted one of those, those skylines. And then, um, Jared hit him up. He's like, dude, I got this pearl white one. It's got like super low miles on. It's pretty much brand new. I can get it like for a crazy deal. He's like, all right, done. And I remember we went, we, we went and picked that thing up and then got onto the, um, as we pulled onto the freeway, he's just fucking pinned it in this thing, like put it in race mode, like instantly out of the dealership. (laughs) And I was just like, holy shit you just bought a video game dude
0: yeah dude those the, they're the new ones right like the yeah, 2000 yeah. whatever yeah so yeah those are insane like the only thing that sucks about them is that i almost bought one actually um like 2016 i think it was because i, I, I a whole time i was racing i always had like i always had to have a cool car it was like my my release yeah because you had that
1: um, honda asx but, right was it an ASX? Yeah, nsx nsx sorry
0: and NS, yeah i had that i had like I had a bunch of different BMWs. Like I, I always had a friend that was like the general sales manager at BMW, so I'd always get like super good deals on BMWs. And then he moved to Acura. So that's why I went and got the NSX because he got ah. me a super good deal on that. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, I almost bought uh, a GTR like one year. But the only thing that sucked was they didn't come in manual. Mm. But I mean, I don't know. I just never pulled the trigger on that. I wish I did because you put like, two grand in those things and they're rocket ships like you get so much power out of them it's stupid
1: dude this thing honestly like so when you when you would go to the test tracks would you go over um what was that road called that you'd go through ortega yeah you'd go through the ortegas right when you had to go to the i wouldn't go
0: i didn't do that for the test track but i've i've done that road a ton super fun i know like every turn in that track
1: like, yeah. yeah so dude man we used to we used to put surfboards in this fucking thing and we'd go <laughs> we'd go over the ortegas to to surf like san Clemente and stuff and um there yeah, you'd like put that bitch in race mode like squat down and fuck dude that car <laughs> was just like That, it honestly was just a video game. Like you could do, you know, you could get onto freeways, you know, you got like the U-turn sort of thing to get onto a freeway and you'd be like 75, 80 mile an hour, just absolutely (laughs) hooking that thing. It was just like, it was honestly, it was insane. And like, anytime you drive up to LA, you'd always have like Lambos and shit that'd pull up next to you. And you just, oh, like pretty much anything other than like a really good Ferrari or like a really good Lambo, you're pretty well going to have like a race yeah. with those things, you know.
0: Yeah, for sure. I know this it's yeah, one of the most like underrated power cars of all time. Things insane.
1: Have you um have you got any goals of like cars to own nowadays or?
0: Um not really, like I'd love to get another like uh like supercar like that or something, but like honestly like i have so much fun with just like the cars that i like own outright and like i'm just like customizing i don't Mm. that's the one thing like when i had the when i had the nsx like this car's amazing like it's so much fun to drive so fast like the whole time the car, car is like compensating for you like i drive in the canyon stuff and the way that like the brakes and the power setup like it's like giving more brakes to the inside wheels and more power to the outside wheels so it's like you're stuck to the ground the whole time It was so fun but I never wanted to modify it because it's like mm. I would just be doing like an injustice if I like lower it Yeah, like it or what put could you do?
1: Yeah. Like
0: yeah. So it was like it's kinda like it's fun, but at the same time it's boring because you're not like personalizing it. Mm. So like I'm like I'm about to tear I'm probably gonna do it on my YouTube channel actually, but like the Skyline, I just bought a bunch of like like a bigger turbo and like manifolds and, and all kinds of stuff to like make that thing more powerful. So I get more of like a, like enjoyment out of customizing than I do like just going to dealership and buying a car, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. I guess it's kind of like that two-stroke thing we're talking about too, you know, like you sort of can't do that much to a new bike, but you get something old. Like that's one of the things that I said in our YouTube video, like I had to put a week into my, two-stroke when i bought it just to ride the thing and then when i got to the track the back and front brakes went in like five minutes so i had to ride this thing all day <laughs> with literally no brakes but i said to the boys i was like fuck how can you buy this much happiness for three grand
0: yeah exactly and that's the same thing with like with my cars like like the the or nsx i you know if i were to buy that thing straight up it was like hundred fifty thousand dollar car and i'm gonna get more enjoyment out of my skyland that i bought cash for like 13 grand <laughs> it's like yeah i don't know you can't replace that like i just i just love the customization and a car like that too here like since we never had them here is like like when i lived in newport and i drive that thing around i would get like ferraris and shit like pulling up from me, like what is that like or people that knew what it was they were like blown away but like you yeah. don't see them out here you know yeah we're like when I, when i lived in newport it's like such a rich area you see ferraris and lambos and mclarens and stuff like every single day nobody sees a skyline out there and like that they always crack me up because even like older like i had an older lady stop me and like what is that why are you sitting on the right side like not like it's like so funny to me
1: yeah because what do they what do they call them over there they call them gray imports don't they the
0: well it's just a skyline
1: nah but isn't the 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 term of like the import it's called like a gray import car oh. or something
0: Yeah, I don't know exactly like what you'd call it, but like, so I can't actually register in in, um, California because like, like, um, our like country, I can legally import a 25 year old or older car. So like my skyline is America. Okay. But California's regulations don't allow it to be registered here. So like, I still have it registered in Florida. (laughs)
1: yeah it's so dude it's so weird the whole system over there so like i had to i had to go to court because i got pulled over uh just on the 91 it was actually right by no the 15 it was right by the cowie test track actually and this guy pulled me over and he's like oh where's your california driver's license and i was like dude i don't i'm not californian like i feel like it's pretty (laughs) pretty obvious that i'm not from here and he's like oh well you're driving without a license And i was like no here's my australian license like have you know how yeah. about it and he's like oh well man you actually can't drive in california without a california driver's license and i was like dude what about like anyone that just lives in nevada or lives in arizona what about those people like no nah, need a california driver's license and i'm like but i feel like you're not yeah. pulling all of them over dude like you're literally gonna yeah, fuck my you're gonna fuck my life right now i had to go to court it cost me <laughs> like three thousand dollars dude
0: oh, yeah there's california is the most like it, it our, i don't know government over here sucks but it's like the best place to live because it's like yeah you got so much shit to do but yeah it's it's also the worst place to live because yeah they'll try and get you on anything like that
1: yeah it was it was so bizarre to me i was just like dude there's got to be like i get i get it like you you kind of get me on a technicality here but but then it's like, it can work. Yeah, it can work the other ways where you can, yeah, you just keep your car registered in Florida and then you drive and you're like, oh, it's registered.
0: Yeah, I know. And they don't, they don't care. Every time I, I don't even have an apartment in Florida anymore, but if I re-register, they just ask me where they want me, me to ship my sticker. I'm like, <laughs> why can't California be this easy? <laughs> like, Yeah, whatever.
1: dude. Yeah, I know. Eh? But it is crazy, like, because it is the, it is a sick state to live in, in terms of, like you've got no and i mean northern california is crazy like even i guess as you start to get up to to where you're at i I feel like once you get like ventura it's just like a different state almost
0: yeah yeah i'm like just below ventura so
1: yeah okay yeah that whole area is so good
0: yeah it's it's pretty rad like I, i remember one day last year like going snowboarding and then coming home and like going to meet friends at the beach to have dinner. And I'm like, dude, like, where else can you do this? Like, it's so sick. It's like, it's definitely like one of the, one of the cooler, like, I don't know. It's expensive as shit, but it's, it's a cool area. It'll be in for sure.
1: Yeah, man. That, that was, I remember when you started living in Newport, I was like Cole sealy has got the fucking idea, <laughs> like staying in Temecula ain't the move boys
0: no no it's not and like like i said before like i always thought of it as an investment too like Mm. because i'm not going to live there forever and it i mean real estate's real estate is going to go up so um i was like you know what i'm going to spend a lot to live here but it'll pay off in in some you know someday when i when i want to step away from this i'll get all my money back and then some so
1: yeah did you so you said you had a business manager was that something you did like pretty much the whole time like once you started making money
0: yeah yeah pretty much just like um kind of similar to what i was saying with like my training and stuff i kind of just wanted somebody to keep me in check like like hey you're spending so funny you had that foresight you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i've seen i've seen just you know just being observant of other racers and other younger kids that that make money in other sports just like you know, whether it's not being responsible with the training or not being responsible with the money or whatever. I just I just wanted somebody to kind of be there for me in, in every aspect. And honestly, I just, like, I love to study that shit and know, like, how to do it myself or how to invest and, and, and be smart in other ways. But we was so busy with, with racing. Like, I want a goal of mine. was actually to, to eventually go back to school, but I never, you know, I never did because I was always just so busy in every minute i had that i wasn't training or i wasn't racing i was like literally all i want to do is sit on my couch and recover so that it could be better the next week so mm. I just didn't have any time for anything else so unless i got injured then i was like trying to pick up new hobbies
1: <laughs> yeah what what do you reckon you would have done like if you went back to school what what interests you to study
0: i, I have no idea no not a clue probably probably construction of some sort eventually <laughs> like, honestly no clue <laughs>
1: Um, one thing we haven't really mentioned is your parents, but like, obviously your parents must've been pretty switched on for you to like make all of these moves that you've made. And then it seems like they've left their hands off your career a little bit. Cause if, you know, you talk about like the money side of things, I feel like basically, you see a lot of parents that are like, oh, we'll take care of the money side of things. And then you just hear these fucking horror stories. Like I won't name names, but like, you'd know some crazy shit that's gone down with like families and parents and money and stuff too, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was, I was super fortunate with my parents. Like they, they, they we were never well off at all. Like my parents, definitely, it was like, um, a struggle to get to race, to race in amateurs. Like, i definitely saw that and that when i was younger that made me kind of hate sport a little bit because i was like fuck like i don't want to put my parents through this like this sucks but um luckily enough they they you know stuck it out for me and got me to where i was um and then like i remember like the year because my dad when i was a when i was a amateur he was like kind of a dick like he was like (laughs) kind of gnarly to be around and um he like and my friends all were like didn't want to hang out at the house and stuff. Cause my dad was always stressed out about that. And then like the, the year I turned pro, he just turned into like the nicest guy in the world. Just like, didn't have a care in the world anymore. Like didn't have to front the bills for me to get to the track and, and race and all this stuff. And he literally like completely like within the span of like five months, probably just like changed into like the nicest guy in the world. And like no way. just completely step back, let me do my thing. Like, all my team managers loved him because you get parents like even nowadays that are like they're too involved with the testing or they're too involved with the writing program or something like that. My dad was the polar opposite. He never wanted to step on anyone's toes. And if if the team was going to be mad at me, it wasn't going to be because of him because it something that he said or did. Um, he was almost to the point where I was like, dad, you can like, you can come in the rig. Like you can hang out. Like, like you know, you help me get mm-hmm. here, like be a part of this whole thing. But he was just like, no, like he, he, you know, had his friends and his group of people that he liked to hang out with at the races. And he's like, no, I'll just let you do your thing and I'll be here if you need me kind of thing. So Damn, that's that's like, I think it's super sick. I was really, you know, fortunate in that, in that sense for sure. And like, even like Steve Mathis from pulp is like, dude, you, he's like the number one fan of my dad. He's like, your dad is the nicest person in the world. Like I love seeing that guy at the races and same thing with my mom. My mom just like, worked her ass off when she was younger and now they're they're honestly like they're like gypsies right now they're just like as soon as they retired they sold everything bought a motorhome traveled for a few years and just like don't really have a plan just like living life enjoying it like i don't know i got pretty lucky with this too for sure
1: that's unreal so like have you ever spoke to your dad about why you're such a dick then do you think that he just felt like (laughs) crazy pressure to try and like make you like give you what you needed to be pro
0: Yeah, probably. I mean, it wasn't, yeah, it was, it was just probably something within him where he's like, I got, you know, like he probably saw something in me and just knew that like, like if I don't get him to the races that, you know, that's gonna, you know, been a missed opportunity. So he probably just was like, I never talked to him about it. He's too nice now to bring it up, but like it was probably just pressure he put on himself to, to provide for his son, I guess. But I don't know. I'm stoked. He's, he's, super cool now I love the guy
1: (laughs) yeah i mean that's pretty that's pretty sick man like i mean just hearing it in my head i'm like i bet he was just like super committed and it was just like let's just fucking get it done so that you can go pro and then my job is done but so many parents man like they're doing it so that when their kid is pro they do get to be the star that they always wanted to be right
0: yeah yeah and kind of live Vicariously through them. But no, it was, it was never like that with my parents. They were just, yeah, just let me do my thing. They would come to the races when they could. And if I could help them get them there and they wanted to go, I'd, I'd try and do that. But my dad, like, he had like two of his best friends loved going to, like, loved get, going to the races. And they would like, travel, like, those three together to most of the races that they could get to. And it was fun, like, having him there. That especially like, you know, they weren't at every round, but having him, I only won one 450 race, but like having him at that one with those two, like it was super cool to kind of share that moment, get him up on the podium when we were taking the team picture and all that stuff. So that was pretty special.
1: Dude, it only takes one though, right?
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like,
1: like if you win one or 10, like fuck you won one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Makes it more special, I guess.
1: Was that, was that like... I guess, you know, because I spoke to this, uh, to Brayton about that, you know, like he won that so far, he's won that one race in Daytona and it, you know, he just said like his whole career, his whole life, it almost is like a vindication when you just get that one moment. Did you have anything like that at, at that race?
0: Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it was just like, I, I remember that year, just like things are just going right at that point, And I was like, I got a few podiums and I was like, I can win. Like, I know if things happen the right way, like I can win, which was like, it took me a couple years to like, step back and realize like, Holy shit. Like that was like a thought that I had where like five years before that, I wouldn't even think anything like that. Like I wasn't mm. even thinking like I can win. I, I was thinking like, Oh, I need to make these lights main events. Like it's hard for me to make these lights main events. Um, So it's, yeah, it's like something that like, it's definitely like a moment in my life where like just every like lap of that race that I'll remember, you know, like just, it was such a perfect night. Like I, I think I qualified like second in the practice and then like I won my heat race. I won the main event. Like I still have my helmet from that night and it's so sick. Cause there's no roost marks on it. There's a brand new helmet. There's no roost marks. Like it doesn't even look like I race in it. Cause it's just so like perfect. And, um, yeah, that's like just that yeah but de- you definitely get that verification of like uh, like i'm um, i made it you know like i like everyone you know they'll say like oh you're you know you're a superstar in the sport you don't feel that way and then when you win something like that you're like all right like i have a little bit of like verification within myself like i am i've you know i did it i've I've done the hardest thing or well, one of the hardest things in the sport to do and and that's when a freaking super race.
1: yeah and i mean there's not that many dudes that have done it on a 450 and yeah, it, like, because the seasons not. are just dominated by guys that'll win. You got 18 races. You get, get one guy that's going to win 10, one guy's going to win four, and then one guy's going <laughs> to win three. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then you might yeah, get one I know, yeah, outlier.
0: Yeah, there's probably like an average of like three or four winners per year. It's just crazy. And it's such a stack. Like every year, it's so damn stacked with, with talent, too. Like just to be able to break away and something get your like little moment there is definitely something special for sure
1: well dude i have thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed talking to you bro it's getting sort of starting to get a bit late over there for you so i'll um (laughs) i'll let you let you get out of here but man i really appreciate you um taking the time to make it happen um uh yeah i've been excited to talk to you for for ages man so
0: yeah dude stoked to finally get this done for sure i mean i've been if you ever need me back on for sure, I'm, I'm there now that I got all my equipment set up. (laughs) Yeah. Got it all dialed in, but yeah, it's good to finally, uh, touch base and hopefully, man, I want to come over there soon. Or if you're over here, we got to link up for sure.
1: Dude, I was about to say, uh, once people can travel again to Oz, you definitely need to come and do some, like me and Sam, we're gonna, we've sort of started doing this whole thing called semi pro. Like, I, I feel like, you know, we did the Berriman thing and like that went so good that, you know, the content that we made was awesome. And then he came on the podcast. Like there's definitely something cool about doing it in studio as well. Um, and you know, you don't have like all the technical, <laughs> technical shit going on, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, man, there's a couple like really, really dope one-off races here. Um, like coming over and doing like Manji map or, you know, something like that, like a really cool one-off event. And, and then we'll, you know, there's so many guys that are over here doing pretty cool shit with just content and stuff as well so i feel like uh yeah it's only a, only a 14 hour flight for you guys so it's uh it could, yeah i know cool it would
0: so it'd be it'd be cool to get over we should do a two for one too. get bearman in on it and do a little boys trip over there it'd be sick
1: yeah some, i i feel, feel like Behrman, have some good time bearman's always down for an australia trip <laughs> and uh he uh him and dude, the funniest thing man is like watching him and Harry Bink together. Those two were just really? like <laughs> those two are just like fire and fire, bro. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> so
0: sick. Oh yeah. Well sick. yeah, man. Well thanks again for having me on. We'll have to link up and do some some cool content stuff soon for sure
1: yeah man and uh i think too there's definitely uh I, I know some people with drift cars over here as well so we could probably get you yeah, probably yeah. get get you having like the full the full adventure
0: yeah that'd be sick I'm, I'm always down for sure
1: sick brother well yeah thanks again man i really appreciate it
0: no problem i'll talk to you later
1: all right see you mate